Just want to thank some of our sponsors, coolvin.com, the insulated bag that you can keep your drinks cold, and then it's got a heating pad in the top. I've talked about it. A lot of people are reaching out, asking about it. Cool-ven.com. If you go there, you'll see the website. They've got places everywhere where you can order. And if you use code Alice, you get a 10% discount. Also, Lean Feast is the meal prep. Uh, if you go to leanfeast.com, you can see all the different places where they have it so you can have it delivered to you. I had a giant box here for myself and Kevin. And Kevin left it here, and I ate as much of it as I could, but it was it was food <laughs> for three people. But it is very convenient. It's very easy to stay on track. And if you're ever hungry and in a hurry like I am, you just stick this stuff in the microwave and you're good to go. Uh, it's all healthy stuff. So leanfeast.com. Use code Alice for another 10% discount. And then onit.com forward slash Alice, because you know that Onit has sponsored the show from the start. It was Onit's idea for me to do a podcast before I was dropped from SiriusXM. So with Aubrey Marcus and all those guys supporting, I use it every day. I'm on Alpha Brain right now and New Mood at the same time. So I use it. So you can get kettlebells and workout gear, all that stuff. And if you use the promo code, uh, if you go onit.com forward slash Alice, then they know that you were listening to this show. Very convenient. And then, of course, Stay Classy Meats. If you want meat, free-range meat that isn't uh, in this whole process game, it's clean. It comes to straight to you, and you can order everything, grass-fed everything. There's, like, grass-fed bacon, all different kinds of meats, all different kinds of cuts. We had lamb the other day, right, Katie? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Never had it before, and it was amazing. If you go to stayclassymeats.com, and you use the code Alice, you get a discount there as well. So shout out to all those motherfuckers. All right, the arches. Look at myself in the camera. Here we go. My balls totally moving, new and improving. Knocked out, we can't back her up. I've got the heart. All right, we have a guest, and he is way uh, over-qualified to be here. It doesn't make any sense. This is uh, Andrew Huberman, and he is a scientist, and, and he's qualified in things that I don't know the words of. I just know that he has his own lab, and it's very and he, and he has a YouTube thing where he tells shit that may open my mind to, you must come on here and tell all of us and help us with our lives. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I see you do seminars where you talk to people. I see you're always trying to help people. You got like you're constantly trying to help the youth, and you like you do stuff that isn't for money. Like you spend your time driving around trying to teach people. You're like one of these special people. So I really appreciate your time here. Oh well, it's great to be here. I've uh, known about you and your work for many, many years for a variety of different reasons. Which is 
I knew because I know that Blayback is a friend, and he's and Blaze is in. Michael Blayback is a photographer in skateboarding, one of the greatest photographers that, uh, to me, the greatest photographer I've ever met. Like, if I wanted to get a photo, he's the guy that took my book photos. Uh, I I think he's amazing, and he introduced me to you, and then I started following you on Instagram, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's a skater, and he's fucking cool with you, Blaze. Then yeah, I follow him, check him out. He's like, you know, you should have him on your show, and I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll look at this stuff, and I'm like, whoa. The eye, th- the first thing I saw was the uh actual sunlight in your eyes for a certain amount of time how that can energize you for your day and not, no sunglasses not like through windows and cars and things like that and i was like wow i'll try that and i feel like that or then i was like okay now i'm just gonna listen to everything that he does but then you just tell me now that you at one point stayed in tony hawk's bedroom because his dad frank hawk saw you and you guys were looking like you didn't have a place to stay did you sleep in Tony Hawk's bed? I did not, but I slept next to it. So the, this did not happen well, recently. This was oh, a yeah. long time yeah. ago, Just and so I want to be very yeah. clear. Tony, when Tony's you say now, he has his own house. Well, and when you say slept in Tony Hawk's bedroom, I want to be very clear. Tony Hawk was not in his bedroom at that point. So I, no, yeah. that would have been even weirder if he'd yeah. be like, "Why are these kids here, Dad?" So, um, yeah. Hey, so, hey, so, for so you. first of all, <laughs> hey, first of all. Um, Thank you for the kind intro. Uh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a researcher. I'm a scientist. I run a laboratory. Uh, we study brain states like sleep and calm and stress and uh, also brain and neural regeneration after injury. But then I do a lot of public facing um, science education on YouTube, on Instagram. Um, and the goal is always just be to do free to consumer public education, right? Okay. Research is paid for by tax dollars, your tax dollars, so thank you, US taxpayers <laughs> and other sources, but you pay for that research and scientists work very hard to make discoveries that can benefit people. A big part of my work and my mission in life is to try and get scientists out of laboratory and talking to the general public to, so they can understand what science is about, what the motivations are and how it can benefit people. Yeah. And then also to gather up some of the gems that exist in science and put those out into the world because they can really improve things like sleep and um, stress and a variety of things that we'll talk about. When but, you were a skateboarder, were you already th- deep in this? No. So the the short version of this is, you know, I grew up in a family where, um, you know, my dad was a scientist. Um, my mom was not a scientist and pretty normal childhood. And then somewhere around age 13, 14, like very high conflict fractured divorce. My dad moved away. My mom was dealing with her thing. So I was pretty much feral from like 14 to 20. So that's when I started riding the 7F bus up to Embarcadero. Got to be friends with Carl Watson and huh. grew up at the, the whole EMB thing for those you know, yeah. your listeners will know what that is. If I you're want- a skateboarder, there was a scene. There was, it was a, a scene. real big scene. It yeah. was like a thing that I had friends in Australia that hoped to save money to fly to s- sit at these ledges. And and you and normal people would have walked by that by that area and be like, yeah, maybe I'll read a book here or something one day. Yeah. But it was a golden god area for skateboarders. Right. Those people would probably be get robbed <laughs> um, back then. <laughs> San Francisco, the way that scene was run was kind of rough too. But it had some amazing people, as everybody knows. I want to be very clear that um, lo- I still have a lot of friends from that community in that era, and I'm, I feel very blessed to have been a part of it. But I just want to say clearly at the outset, I was not one of the great skateboarders. I was never destined to be one of them. I, I lacked, uh, I had drive, but not skill, but I, I had the, the great fortune of becoming friends with some of the amazing people, Greg Carroll, 
Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I grew no up way. with... Yeah, so a lot of the the folks in that scene and um, Keith Cochran and a lot of people were, yeah. were very much became my um, friends and surrogate parents and mentors. I knew Jeff Clint, who unfortunately passed away, Jim Thiebaud, all those guys who were, um, some, were just amazing because they provided a community that at the time I was really desperate for. Yeah. Um, and skateboarding is amazing. Um, yeah, I'd still get on and ride every once in a while, yeah. but yeah, but, but I, but, uh, I will, I don't want to give the impression that I had a future in it as an athlete. It was for me, it was, it was a place to go. I have more respect yeah. for the people that didn't get a check out of it for being, cause it was, it was easier to be there when, uh, you were good and everybody gave you free shit and it was your job. And if you weren't as good and you were there with me all the time, then there was no question why you were here. You're a real skateboarder. It was just and that a, was as a retired guy. I now know my gift was that I could. I, this I said it a lot, but my gift was that I could skate that well. Doesn't matter about the money. Doesn't matter if somebody recognized me at a gas station five years from now and goes, "Man, you used to rip." That's not why I did it. That I mean, sometimes you get carried away with that stuff, and I'm like, "Yeah, like uh, more of money." I mean, I'm having my video part looks good, and everybody goes, "Wow, you did a crazy video part." I I was answering to that in the end. Right. But what I really got out of it was many, many years of me and my friends skateboarding. And when I would drop in, that shit was fucking attached to me, you know? Right. And I was in a candy store. Christmas was every day for me. There's That's still no feeling like it. Like a good, even as we talk about it, if I think about like a good solid frontside grind on coping. Right. I'm like on, on cement coping. I it's, still it's, go it's, to it's Venice like for it's, that. In, it's in your body. And I don't, I think for anybody who knows the community of, skateboarding and some of the and the music scenes that surround it or at least did back then yeah. um you know there's nothing else quite like it like it it's and so when i got back in touch with mike blayback yeah you guys call him blaze blayback right not everybody yeah. does but not I, I can't i not just anymore. he's blaze forever he's, to uh, um you know it's it's like instant uh feelings of of family i just realized we should say michael blayback the remember how everybody loves Rob Deerdick and how he had the fancy factory and he did those weird basketball shots. Michael Blayback is the inventor, the first person to ever start doing the weird bouncy shit. It was Michael Blayback. Michael Blayback, then this other dude and myself. We were there first. Then Colin McKay. Then Rob came over and was like, "Whoa, you guys are doing some cool." We started it, okay, and the first person was blaze i never forget like check out the shot is he I'm a like, good shot he was he would refuse to play because i wanted to play this is when i was heavily into the lakers and i used to call myself mini shack because i'm not very good but i you know i mean i'll back up and cheat and i had to like spin around fade away but i'm like one foot shorter and i also shot like shack terribly so i wanted to play blaze all the time like come on blaze play me one-on-one -on -one. and blaze is a man he's like no we're playing horse it's <laughs> that's, that's a I'm, good that's a good mic playback that's it. Yeah. That's what we're doing. I'm like, man, okay. So I guess we'll just have to submit to that. And then I, they would do it a bunch to wait for us to get ready to skate. They would kill time doing this. And he got really good. And then it escalated. He would do shots from back of the board. And then it would like bounce off something into the board. So then they just started. Then it was honest. Mm -hmm. But I remember him having like a bunch of trick shots because he would say, let's play horse. And then he'd throw it off the, you know, I mean, it hit the quarter pipe and go in. I'm like, what the fuck? And then, and then because we're videographers, all of us, then we started filming it, and then people at DC started seeing it, and then it became Rob became. shows up, makes it a makes it a thing. Well, what's so impressive about Blayback, I think, is that he's stuck to this same, 
like genre. I mean, his he has such a signature look to his photographs. Yeah. And he, you know, we spent a lot of time together now. We're really good friends. And um, he is such a stickler for detail. I don't think people really understand just how hard he works. He'll go out on a shoot, drive all night to the next station on the shoot, know, come right? back, show up at my house. And I'll look over and, you know, it's like midnight. And he's looking through image 6,000 from yeah. that day. 6,030, 6,031. And then he'll spend as much time as it takes with these things to just, to just, get the killer shot yeah. and it's it's really impressive and just he's you know that's a 25 30 year career he's um, a brilliant man yeah we want to talk to you today about cryo free cbd pain relief roll on from omax and omax is offering our listeners 20 percent off a one month supply of omax cryo freeze this discount also applies to any product statewide fuck let me just start from the top <clears throat> We're here today to talk to you about cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on from Omax. Omax is offering our listeners 20% off a one-month supply of Omax cryo-freeze. This discount also applies to any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code Ellis. That is omaxhealth.com and enter code Ellis to get 20% off Omax cryo-freeze and site-wide. There's a lot of companies that are doing this, and I've used a lot of them because I'm a 49-year-old person who acts like a 12-year-old, so I'm sore all the time. And this is one of those ones that is legit. Uh, I've been using it ever since I got it in the mail. I didn't even know who and why. I was just, I was like, oh yeah, cool, another roll-on thing. And <laughs> now it is my number one go-to because it really works. I covered my whole back of my spine and my and my hips this morning because I've been working on hurricane kicks for the last two days. Yeah, I've been I've been using it. I've been working out a lot more lately. My shoulders got sore. Rolled that stuff on. Night and day difference. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. the real deal. Yeah, I put it on my knees last night, and I think the proof was in the pudding when I kicked those boards this morning. <laughs> right. They might really want to take you on as a personal sponsor because boy, does that show some action. You have pain that won't go away. Then wait, it, there has to be an if that's supposed to be in there. Yeah. If you have pain that won't go away, then you qualify for Omax Cryo Freeze. Simply roll it over where it hurts and ice out the pain. No messy creams or horrible fragrances like some of those other products. Cryo Freeze works within five minutes of application, improving physical training, recovery, and performance. So go to omaxhealth.com and enter code Ellis to get 20% off Cryo Freeze and site wide. That's O M A X Health.com and enter code Ellis to get 20% off and site wide. Oh, mate, Jason Ellis here talking about Mac Weldon. I had no idea who they were or what they did. Uh, all I know is they're interested in sponsoring the show, and they were like, go on the website and pick some, some, some clothes. So I go on there, and I try to keep it plain. I like sweatpants because it's pandemic. I no longer feel uh, the, the need to wear jeans anymore. So all I care about is sweatpants. So I'm a sweatpant connoisseur. I also am a sweatshirt connoisseur and a t-shirt professional. I have t-shirts. I sell t-shirts with skateboarding. I'm a t-shirt maniac. These guys make the most comfortable sweatpants I've ever had on. I love this. I love the, the sweatshirt and the t-shirt. I just wore it for, I think, two days straight until like my cat put cat poo on it. So then I had to take it off. But I was planning on just wearing it over and over again. I'm just pissed I don't have seven pairs. I got their undies on right now. And they oh, you are... Don't? Snug. I love them. Yeah, I, re I'm not lying, you guys. Like, I, I would just say, yeah, man, check them out. But I, 
Uh, Katie, I really like how much do I love that stuff? I don't usually like to wear stuff and then put it next to my bed and then get up and put it back on, but I was running that game. It's very comfortable. And you can run that game too. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash Ellis and enter promo code Ellis. That's MacWeldon.com slash Ellis, promo code Ellis for 20% off. Mac Weldon, reinventing men's basics. So that was the crew. And then basically what happened was uh, uh, I, I was getting hurt a lot, kept breaking yep. my foot. And I got into um, Thai kickboxing. Yeah, and whoa, I, yeah, okay. Got into that for a little bit. And then I followed a high school girlfriend off to college, except I wasn't in college. I lived in the parking lot outside her dorm. What? She kind of latched onto her as family. And then at some point I applied to, I, I somehow managed to finish high school. Don't ask me how. And I applied to college, got into college. First year was a total failure, total disaster. And um, I went home made a decision to kind of get my act together eh. there was a bunch of things that happened it was getting fights it was just you know just eh. starting to veer off at you know at age nine, 18 19 it was looking pretty pretty choppy yeah and i took a class i decided to get into school somehow like get my mind into school took a class from a guy uh his name was harry carly he was a physiologist he studied things like thermal regulation and metabolism and his lectures were just brilliant and he also lectured about schizophrenia and some of the chemicals involved in mental disease and depression and i'd seen a lot of that right as you know from the community of skateboarding and just growing up in the world i think everyone sees i knew people who had done really well i also knew people who had become addicts i knew people who had really just struggled people had committed suicide you know but you know by that age a few friends had died and committed suicide had gone crazy and all that stuff and i started to realize i was like he's really teaching me how the world works it looks like classroom textbook stuff but you know something's going on under the hood in the brain that's driving certain people to behave in certain ways right. and i just got totally into it also he drove a black truck he was kind of a punk rocker he smoked cigarettes in the fume hood of the lab which you're not supposed to do he drank <laughs> coffee where like right under the sign that says no food or drink and for kind of a like edgy guy back then you know like me i was like i like this guy and right. i started working in his lab and pretty soon I was like, I this is the life I want. Yeah. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, 20 years, basically you go through the all the ranks of you go to graduate school, you do a postdoc, you apply for you run out. So I've had my own lab for about 10 years now. And um, we do science. We're trying to figure out how the brain works, how to fix it when it's broken. And I've also really enjoyed the the colleagues I have in in science. Um, they're very different than the kinds of people I grew up around and the the community I was enmeshed in. Yeah. With. But um it's been amazing and it's uh it's a wild ride and um I'm grateful you know for the arc of it it's been um it's been interesting to see how the the public now because of everything that's happened in 2020 it's really interested in how they can do better for themselves and feel better and so that's where the public education thing comes Yeah, well, in. well I found it to be very interesting even just uh, like the little bits that I can grasp and the talking about uh the serotonin or what no the um what was it dopamine dopamine and success and how dopamine's triggered on uh, addictions and how if you like the the interesting part was that when it comes to being excited about something you're going to do there's also a pain trigger that comes and I, and when you said that all of a sudden I'm like oh fuck yeah like when I do do something that I want to do and then the me wanting to do it again and not having it yet is immediately 
with the same of like hell yeah i want to do this and man i can't wait to do another one there you don't catch it as like a pain thing but it was very interesting for even that to know and then successful people you say people that have a lot of drive are tendon have tendencies to be more addicted yeah so you know some people out there may have heard of this thing, dopamine, this molecule that, you know, we always hear of it as this thing that makes you feel good. It's like a reward, yeah. the feel good molecule. That's not quite true. Uh, you know, it's really the molecule of craving and pursuit and desire. It's really the, the feeling of excitement and motivation. That's dopamine release in your brain. Okay. And, and, you know, so if you're really excited about something or you tell a kid, hey, we're going to go get ice cream and the kid gets excited, it's like dopamine is released. Actually, indulging in that thing, whether or not it's food or it's sex or it's um, a drug, there's some dopamine release depending on the activity or the drug. We talking about that, but mostly what dopamine does is it makes you want more of whatever it is you're focusing on. Right. And the reason why certain drugs are so addictive like methamphetamine is that they create huge increases in the amount of dopamine released. You said before you do it e as well. Before and and Remember during? Michael how we used to make that joke where if you knew the coke was coming or the ecstasy was coming you need to take a shit. <laughs> and I'm like I feel like I'm already on the coke before I get the coke. That's right. Well, and Artie Lang is said- that dopa That's dopamine that's, kicking in knowing that I'm going to do the dopamine. drug, right? That's dopamine. Yeah that's, yeah, that's exactly what my experience with cocaine sounds like. I have limited but real experience with it. Artie Lang famously said that the best part of coke is waiting for the- is, is when the coke gets there. Uh, and I think yeah. we all have that experience of where you're doing cocaine, anybody who's done coke, obviously, and- you're not really having the time of your life, but you are very fixated on let's do some more. And as soon as you get it, you're fixated on let's do some more, even though you're like, now it's five o'clock in the morning and nothing is happening. Why are we still doing this? I feel like you've given the silver bullet explanation for how cocaine use basically works. Yeah, I've never done cocaine. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, uh, I want to? Um, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> you're not, um, you're not missing I, out. No, I really. you know, I like... Um, I, I avoided it on purpose because I like um, excitement. A right. lot, and um, you're you know, thinking, man. You can know, you know what you can tell. Uh, you know, <laughs> and um, and it's it's clear that it, so what you describe is it's almost like a tunnel vision of wanting and needing and thinking. And it's look, this is, the dopamine release in our brains is a very important part of our evolution as a species. This is why what allowed animals and humans to you know be thirsty, start looking for water, right? The drive, the craving of water. It actually creates the feeling and the ability to move. Motivation is part of, it involves movement. And actually Parkinson's disease, where people have a tremor and they yeah. have trouble moving, is a deficiency in dopamine. Wow. Yeah. Wait, could you get, does that mean you're more likely to get that because you uh, exerted a lot of dopamine in your life? Uh, you know, there's some, there are certain things that people can do that can um, bias them toward Parkinson's, like okay. certain drugs. Um there are drugs that can kill dopamine neurons in which, and so the, the cells, neurons are just nerve cells in your brain, just like skin cell, nerve yeah. cell. Um, there are certain things that can kill those neurons, but generally people that have a lot of dope, you know, a high, what's called sensation seeking or novelty seeking, you know, you start to see certain behaviors and tendencies. They tend to be, um, whatever they're doing, they get really excited about. They yeah. tend to take things to extreme. Um, they become professional skateboarders and they do other high adventure things. Now, none of that in itself is bad, right? I yeah. mean, that's, it's part of the creativity process. It's drugs like methamphetamine and cocaine. The reason why they can be very destructive 
is because they create a thousand more, a, a thousand greater increase in dopamine in your brain than you would ever achieve from anything else. And they actually start to change the way that the brain is structured. Now, the good news is when people get, get off those drugs, their brain recovers eventually. Ah. But there's a, you know, you've probably heard this, um, this thing before that there's certain drugs that you do once and you're forever addicted. Yeah. That there's some truth to that. And there's also some, some falsehood to that. But it is true that for people that have been addicted to one thing, say alcohol, and they get sober, the, the data show that if they're sober a very long time, and then maybe they go and try something that, no, that earlier they ne in their life, they never would have liked. Like maybe it's a stimulant or something. Yeah. One, one time is all it takes to get addicted. So there is such a thing as an addictive personality, but the addictive personality is just language for what really should be called addictive brain circuitry. Right. And so I, when I look out there and I see a lot of, you know, a lot of people with a lot of struggle with addiction, what I think is, you know, it is a biological issue, but in the end, the decision of how to overcome it is uh, behavioral. Right now, there's no pill that people can take to become suddenly unaddicted, unfortunately. What are the things that you can do to help cope with that? For people that are addicts? Yeah, besides going to meetings and whatnot. You know? Yeah, well, the meetings and the, and the social support there is really key. I mean, some people, they're so high in the sensation and novelty seeking that they need to replace the unhealthy behavior with something that's stimulating for them. Yeah, I feel like you that's- know? something i did too yeah i mean the you fighting know, thing was definitely i mean what's more you know i mean fighting and being in combat it's like that you've got the focus and the adrenaline at the same time uh, your your worldview is like this big but and you're calm but it, but excited yeah and and so you know the the thing about dopamine um there's an experiment that's actually kind of illustrates really well the difference between uh, how dopamine is involved in motivation and pleasure. Okay. It was done on a rat, but the same thing is true for humans. So you take two rats, yeah. separate cages, yeah. you give them food. All they have to do is press, they get food. And they like food. You actually can give them certain food. They like these little chocolate Cheerios things. Yeah. They really like those. Okay. All right. Then you take away dopamine from one of those animals. Okay. You can actually remove the dopamine in its brain with injection of a drug. What? Yeah. Yeah. It gets rid of the, gets rid Wait, of the neurons. Just suck it out. Uh, there's, uh, there's a drug that kills out. the, that oh, kills okay. the neurons. And actually this was, this actually happened. Um, the, the, I don't want to go off story too much, but in the, I think it was in the mid eighties, there was a, a, um, there was a lab that was selling, um, they made some fake drugs. Basically they were selling it to heroin users and it turned out it killed it was this synthesized heroin made in some lab killed dopamine neurons. And all these people got Parkinson's. They were locked in. They became, they truly couldn't move. You know, and it's because it killed all their dopamine neurons. That's really extreme. Okay. But in this case, you kill the dopamine neurons and then you offer food again to the rats. Okay. Yeah. One has dopamine, one doesn't. The difference is you move the food one rat length, one body rat uh, length of one body, what one body length of the rat away from the rat. Yeah. So all it has to do is walk like yeah. a couple inches. Yeah. The one with dopamine walks over and hits it and starts eating the Cheerios. Yeah. The one without dopamine, Mm -mm. no motivation you take the rat and you put it next to the food and it'll eat it so basically what this says is that dopamine isn't pleasure dopamine is what allows you to move toward pleasure it's about motivation and so we don't want to make dopamine sound terrible dopamine is beautiful we're you know it's we're so blessed to have it it's the reason why you can build a business build a relationship be resilient battle through anything take long long periods of your life to work toward a goal that's all dopamine wow. but but the key 
if you want to conquer this system and really own this system is to do what they do in Las Vegas is they use like on the, the reason people just feed money to the slot machines and yeah. they'll play and gamble and gamble and gamble. The yeah. reason why rational people act so stupid <laughs> when, you know, is when dopamine is released on what they call an intermittent schedule where you don't know when to expect it's coming. So the reason why people play the slots is because just when you've been losing too long and you're ready to go, it gives you a win. They've worked out the schedules and that will keep you doing something much longer than if you're rewarded every time. Fuck. And drug users, they get into this too. They're, they're, people say they're always chasing that first high. They're yeah. not chasing that first high. They're chasing the next peak. There's this idea yeah. that there's this next peak that's coming. And look, this is also what allows great skateboarders to become great skateboarders, great writers to become great writers. You know, I mean, it's scientists to make new discoveries. It's So you can do this if you're somebody who's driven or you want to be more driven. What I say is apply this in a healthy way. When you achieve something you're really excited about, every once in a while, don't give yourself the win. Just whatever, collect the check or, you know, whatever, but don't celebrate. Every third, you know, don't make, every once in a while you just say, look, we, we hit a big landmark, whatever, followers or dollars or whatever it is. Today, let's just skip the win, go for the next one. And that way dopamine is that you're never getting that expectation of the reward. Because when that reward doesn't come, there's a crash yeah. and that's the disappointment. Yeah. So anyway, we're kind of going deep into dopamine here, but dopamine is powerful and it doesn't matter. And dopamine is a molecule. It doesn't, it's just a chemical. It doesn't care if it's sex, drugs, social media, skateboarding, science, it doesn't matter. All it, all it knows is what's important to you and it drives motivation. Since most people want to feel more motivated, you know? Isn't video games, also really bad like the, the amount of dopamine is a really high level you were saying yeah very high like up there with like cocaine uh probably not that level although for kids it might come close so basically you can think of it as um, normally you got these neurons are releasing dopamine they're that we say firing because the neurons are electrical about three or four times per second that's just kind of we're just sitting here right well this is novel environment for me so actually there's probably more dopamine in my brain right now than you guys because you guys are familiar with this room Let's say I were to eat some food, that uh, the amount of dopamine would go up probably like 20 to 50%. Okay. Cigarette, 150%. Sex doubles the amount of dopamine. Cocaine, amphetamine, thousand times. And that's why people, you know, I, I defined addic addiction as a narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure. That's what addiction is. And I don't know anything about enlightenment i'm not a, a buddhist or anything but i define enlightenment at least in terms of my own life experience as a broadening an increase of the number of things that bring you pleasure the more things that bring you pleasure the happier person you're going to be the fewer things that bring you pleasure the more miserable person you're going to be hey everybody jason ellis here talking about mint mobile that's right it's the new way to pay for your phone service because it's going to be way cheaper and way more convenient. People might say, oh, yeah, really, Jason? Well, I could say that it has the same service. It uses the same antennas as the ones that I already use right now that cost me a ridiculous amount of money because I have children that are constantly bashing my friggin' bank account by using it for all kinds of stupid apps and watching Logan Pauls and whatnot. <laughs> so this is the greatest thing that's come to me. I'm going to be using it. So I'm going to save a, a crap ton of money 
by going to Mint Mobile. Michael? To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month Boom. and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash Ellis. That's mintmobile.com slash Ellis. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Ellis. I feel like the stuff that you talk about and the things that's Buddhism, like so people say, looking at the sun and, you know, like get like, uh, you know, praising the, like at a certain time of day, look at the sun and ask for awakeness or whatever it is. And then I see your thing is like, if you get actual natural sunlight in your eyes. So there's like, sometimes people use like a guru-y kind of way to enlighten your day and give you more energy or make you more calm. But there's actually like a scientific underlining thing that's happening here where he's telling you that at this time of day if you look at the sun for a certain amount of time and then you're saying scientifically proven if your eyes are in direct sunlight i don't know like not looking mm -hmm. at it obviously yeah. but if you can explain more about sure. the sunlight and how much energy that because that one i was like holy shit i'm i am i, I do it every day i do this i learned yeah. breath work the other day i do what yoga the other day i'm really on this whole thing of i've did the drug and i've always lived super hard and even when i got sober it was some other version of living hard and now with the heart thing and stuff i'm like dude just you know carrying stress and having all these other things that i've had to carry in my life and slowly through therapy and doing ayahuasca and 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 and, and uh uh i did mdma therapy all these things that i've done where i didn't really want to do it i've just done those things that they, they they've all helped but it's uh the, these other things that have, that you're talking about, I wish I knew these years ago because it just takes, it just makes all these bad decisions that I've made. If I had known a little bit more about how my brain works, how like certain things that I'm going to do are going to give this, give me this outcome. I just didn't know any of that, and it's not. I'm I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I ain't fucking stupid either. But the things you say make total sense. Like they're not, it's not tricky to get. I'm like, wow, no shit. So just and it's funny once you know how the magic trick works in the brain, it takes a lot of the magical power away from, for example, what you think a beer is going to do for you if you're really, really stressed. If you have even a rudimentary understanding of the science of the reward and all of that, mm -hmm. it does make Miller time seem like less of a something like a holy grail. Yeah, um, you know. So there are three things here. Uh, one is the when you understand a little bit of what we call mechanism of what's going on when you do a certain breathing or view light at a particular time, and I'm, I'll, I'll spell that out in a second and what, what I recommend people do based on the science. Um, when you understand how that works, it gives you a lot of flexibility control over your your internal life and uh, and over your how you are in the world. It really does. And the other thing is that the flip side is also true. Like I want to acknowledge that the yogis and the there's pranayama breath and there's all these yogic things. And people occasionally write to me and they say, hey, a lot of what you're talking about has been discussed in this community and that community for thousands of years. Yeah. And I always say, great. I'm not saying it isn't, but here's two fundamental truths. If it's existed for all that time, the language around it has basically vaulted it away from many of the people that need it. So that's a failure on the part of those communities to get it out into the world. However, I will also acknowledge that science and the field of science and medicine has vaulted all this information in complicated language also. And so it's just as guilty of not putting the information out into the world. Right. And so what I'm trying to do is act as a bridge. And so someone's always out there saying, wait, you didn't mention this person and you didn't talk. It's like, look, I get it. But guruism 
and the following of people in robes and who seem to know everything and um and want you to follow their doctrine has been one of the great barriers to human health because all these these gems within biomedical science and gems within these other communities right they're not getting out into the world because people see the the way people are dressed they're like oh the flowy the magic carpet yeah eh, not for me i was one of them yeah exactly or people say oh you know science yeah that's just a bunch of lab coat guys you know mostly guys or you know that's not me i can't relate and so and people might feel this about me too right because you know i have i am who i am but one of the things i'm trying to do is say look all of these mechanisms these things inside of us that we'll talk about in just a moment here they they're all baked into us from the time we are born they're not they don't involve a lot of learning you, you're the cells and circuits and all those chemicals in our body they were designed for this purpose when i say designed i also just want to be clear because there are going to be people out saying wait what does he say is it intelligent design is it religion is it evolution i don't know i always say i wasn't consulted at the design phase you know <laughs> yeah. like and anyone who says they were you should be very wary of right I don't know. What I do know is that every human being possesses these mechanisms and whatever you believe in, they work the same way. So we can talk about that. Um, you know, one of the most important things I think for human health, and one of the reasons why a lot of people are struggling with sleep and anxiety is because our relationship to viewing light is completely screwed up nowadays. Now, I'm not going to tell people to just live in a field and not use artificial lights or ever look at their phone, but there are essentially three things that anyone can do, totally cost-free, that science supports as ways to feel calmer when you want to be calm, feel alert when you want to be alert, and sleep better. And those, and it starts with what you already um, mentioned, Jason, which is when you wake up in the morning, for most people, that's when the, near the time when the sun comes up. I realize there are people working the night shift. We can talk about that also. But when you wake up in the morning and throughout the day, you want to get as much sunlight in your eyes as is safely possible. Now, you don't want to stare directly at the sun and burn out your retina. But you'll know when you need to close your eyes because there's a pain mechanism that forces you to close your eyes. Yeah. But that if people would just wake up and rather than staying on their phone, try and get outside, even if there's cloud cover, you know, even if you're in the Northeast in winter, or if you are indoors, flip on as many overhead lights and lights as possible. There's a set of neurons in your eye, these nerve cells, that communicate to a clock in your brain, believe it or not, which sits right above the roof of your mouth. It's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. The name doesn't matter. When you view bright light, it sends a signal to that clock, which then sends a signal to every cell in your body, your gut, your uh, everything from your, you know, from your throat to your rectum, to your eyes, to your ears, to your nose, your brain. And it coordinates a rhythm so that you are alert early in the day. And then 12 to 16 hours later, you start releasing this hormone called melatonin, which helps you get to sleep. So the simple way to think about this, if you don't want any details is, Try and view some bright light early in the day. Ideally, don't do it through a window. Take off your sunglasses, unless you have a retinal degenerative condition. Take off your sunglasses, get some sunlight in your eyes for like two to five minutes, maybe 10. Don't stare directly at the sun. If you're gonna be indoors, flip on lights. Try and get as bright as possible. Lights that aren't the sun work as well. They do, but it's early in the day, you need a lot of light. And believe it or not, what looks like a dim outdoor environment actually has a lot more light energy. They're called photons than indoor lights. Okay. And there's a, actually there's a really cool free app. I have no relationship to it. So it's not a business thing called light meter where you can download it. You can actually move it around and you'll see if you put it at a bright artificial light, like indoor light, 
It'd be like a what's called a thousand lux. Lux is just a measure of brightness. Yeah. Outdoors on a cloudy day, it'll be like 30,000 lux. Oh, and if shit. you're looking through a window, because the windows filter out a lot of the, the brightness that you want, yeah. it'll be like 500 lux. It's amazing. So you want to open windows, get outside for a few minutes. And it might seem trivial. It might seem like, all right, whatever. We're just getting outside. But put the phone away just for that few moments. This has huge effects. First of all, it causes the release of hormones in the body that make you more alert during the day. Yep. And it prevents those hormones that cause alertness from coming on late at night. One of the major like signs of depression that they look for in the clinic is a, is a shifted peak in these stress hormones like cortisol and things like that to later in the day. You want that early in the day, that kind of surge of energy. That's the first thing you can do. And there's some details around this. If you wear contacts or eyeglasses, it's fine. It never compromise safety. Like if you have to drive into the sun, don't take off your sunglasses and get into a car accident. I mean, be smart, right? And I say this not just to protect me, but also like to protect you. Be, I'm not a physician, I'm a scientist. So I would say I'm not, I don't prescribe anything. I just profess a bunch of things, but, but be, be rational, be smart. So that's the first thing. And that is a game changer. I mean, people's metabolism improves. It's every, everything improves when you're getting some sunlight early in the day. And if you wake up at 10 a.m., go outside and do it at 10 a.m. If you wake up at seven, do it at seven. If you wake up before the sun comes out, turn on the lights inside. The, short, the simplest way to think about this is when you wanna be alert, get a lot of bright light in your eyes. And it's not light to the skin, it's light to the eyes. But you're saying how that will help you sleep that night. Yeah, because what happens is you have a hormone called melatonin. A lot of people just think of it as the supplement that you buy. Yeah. And I'll mention why you might not want to use melatonin as a supplement. And oh, there, are, there are some things that work much better um, okay. that are, I think have much bigger safety margins, frankly. Wow. So melatonin is released and causes the transition to sleep. And it will be released about 12 to 16 hours after this bright light. Light prevents melatonin release. Okay. So- oh, wow. And so the first thing is to get bright light in your eyes early in the day, ideally from sunlight. If you can't get it from sunlight, get it from artificial sources. I just repeat all this because people always have the same questions. They're like, wait, what about sunglasses? We talked about that. <laughs> you know, like I just, there's a number of things, but um, in any case, the other thing is as you get toward evening, assuming that you want to go to sleep that night, yeah. somewhere around 10 or 11 PM, you need to stop looking at bright lights. And you have to stop looking at, at bright lights in the middle of the night. If you have to get up and use the bathroom or you have an emergency, you need to go to the CVS or whatever, fine. If you got a kid that's crying, dim lights, dim the screens, dim everything. And here's the reason. Bright light is needed early in the day. But at night, it doesn't take very much light at all, even dim light, to mess up your circadian rhythms, to mess up these clocks. Circadian just means 24-hour rhythm. To mess up these clocks, and then you have trouble sleeping. But the real problem is there was a discovery made by my friend Samer Hattar, National Institutes of Mental Health, just to give it some credential. I'm not just pulling this stuff out of, out of the sky, showing that if you see light too often between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., that could be from a phone, could be from the bathroom light. If you're doing that too often, it crushes dopamine release in your brain the next day and the next day. So not only does it mess up the timing of your sleep schedule, looking at your phone in the middle of the night is actually making you less motivated, more depressed. They showed- So you wake up feeling tired. You wake up feeling tired and it's subtle. Here's the thing. It's like any destructive behavior. The subtle stuff, the creep, 
You know, it's the like a little bit of sugar too often, right? I'm not, I'm not gonna demonize sugar completely. I eat it, I enjoy a good donut every once in a while, yeah. whatever, whatever. But it's that creep, it's that little bit that eventually you find yourself feeling not great or like you just wanna get up in the morning and just scroll social media. You're feeling kind of low. You wonder if it's the pandemic or it's the, you know, these systems are not hard to, quote unquote, optimize and support. Yeah. And they're also not hard to throw off, but it actually turns out to be really easy. So avoid bright light between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. You didn't a mention TV one way or the other before you go to bed. You know, it's it's probably not so bad, but dim dim the screen. And the other thing is the cells, these neurons in your eye that sense light and wake up the brain, they are in the bottom half of your eye and they view the upper visual field. So like if this was, this is a great daytime environment. It's really bright. We have lots of lights on. Let's say it was nighttime and we were doing this, this podcast at, you know, eight or 9 p.m. The, then it, you might want to just have the lights lower and turn off the overhead lights. This can have a huge effect. So in your house- why, Michael, if you do a comedy set and you say to yourself, you can, it's always super hard for you to go to sleep after you do your comedy set, even if it's late at night, it's because you were doing a comedy set into a bright light Probably. At, at 11 o'clock at night. So you've like sparked your shit to stay awake at night. Like comedians- yeah, probably sure. don't get a lot of sleep because of their lifestyle. I just realized, well, and they're dopamine junkies. Just to be to be fair, and that dopamine wakes you up. Of course, right? it does. It's like it's like you know. I mean, the I mean, what's the laugh, right? I mean, I lo I don't do comedy, but I, I love going to comedy clubs and and when they were when they were open, of course. Um, <laughs> and it there that talk about just to circle back a little bit the intermittent like unpredictable reward schedule. That's why people go to comedy clubs. They don't go to hear every joke be funny. They go to hear like funny, funny. It's like, it, it has a kind of analogy to boxing. It's like you like pepper, pepper, pepper slam. The big one. Yeah, exactly. It's that thing. Like you don't go to a boxing match to watch guys just like hammer for, for three minutes. Some people like that, but that's like, that's like fraternity boxing right. where you just come it's out. It's not like, the science. Yeah, just hay, haymakers, right? But with comedy and those other things, people, you're, it's the buildup. It's the tension. Musicians know how to do this. You know, so that's dopamine. And if you're getting a lot of that at night, I mean, I should just say a lot of great things also happen between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. So this does not mean don't go out and enjoy a concert once that happens or enjoy parties with friends or a really, every once in a while, celebrate, like yeah. great. You know, this is what we're talking about here is- But a same, consistent thing like consistent. that is not that healthy. That's right. It's like nutrition. You'd say, look, on average, there's probably one way to eat that's pretty healthy or two ways to eat. But having a burger or a pizza every now and then doesn't hurt if you I, stay on track. I mean, I'll feast every once in a while. Right. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't love a great, box of croissants you know <laughs> what do you what do you right. think about those people that um like sun their buttholes is there I, any benefit to that because yes. we've talked you write about that the... question down because man that is <laughs> i'm so glad you asked that no it's, I... it's come up on the show before these people that like to um greet the day grundle oh, and they just man. go in the backyard and they you grab their... came? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's interesting um I'm, I'm glad you're asking this question um toward the end of 2019 there were a lot of instagram posts um about this and what's funny is there's a rule in circadian biology, which is that there's no, in humans, sunlight can't benefit. Uh, I mean, it can have some positive effects on the skin and vitamin D and, and we can talk about, but the only way to set the clock is by light to the eyes because we have these thick skulls. It's the only way that information can get to that clock, which is deep in the brain. So the short answer is no. Um, but what's funny is, 
you know, when you work in the medical community long enough, again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm surrounded by them. It's like, it's sort of like no body part is considered, like people talk about all sorts of things. You know, they talk about one end of the digestive tube and the other end of the digestive tube and, you know, as, as they relate to one another. So it's a perfectly valid question. I don't know how that whole thing got started. Um, but the short answer is no, you want light to your eyes. Um, and uh, <laughs> no, your brown eye. yeah. Yeah. Your, so, eyes. your eyes. That's right. <laughs> I think you got duped. I think even the people who started that were joking. I I oh, like. I don't. I, I don't know. No, I think I know some people that moon, they moon the sun. They moon the sun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the second thing. Um, the only reason I'm jumping right back is because uh, I please I'll, I'll forget. Yeah, no, and then the other pivot one. Pivot off of that, please. If you really want, if you really struggle with sleep and you and anxiety and you you know, there could be a variety of reasons. But if you want to start getting the foundation of your biology to support you with alertness and energy during the day and sleeping better at night. The other thing to do is in the evening or late afternoon when the sun's coming down, try and view the sun then for a couple minutes. Get outside, maybe around, you know, when the sun's setting, you know, 4 yeah. or 5 p.m., you know. Watching but, sunsets. Watching the sunset. And I should be really clear, you don't need to see the sun come over the horizon in the morning and cross the horizon in the afternoon. This is just about getting some sun in your eyes when the sun is what we call low solar angle when it's low in the sky. Yeah. And that afternoon light viewing is, is pretty darn cool because what it does is it changes the sensitivity of your eye so that it's not super sensitive in the middle of the night. I call it the Netflix inoculation. You can kind of protect yourself against some late night work on the computer or watching TV. It won't mess you up quite as much. And huh. and if you're wondering why this works, there's a bunch of mechanisms, melatonin, cortisol, and all a bunch of stuff. But the reason this works is because the body, remember all these organs are inside us. They don't have any knowledge of the outside world. You can't just say it's daytime or nighttime. And the proof of that is called jet lag. If you fly to Japan, you just go, it's daytime, I should be awake. And it's nighttime, I should be asleep. Doesn't work. These cells and tissues in your body are all talking to one another and you wanna give them as many consistent signals as you can. And the most consistent signal that exists in the universe for human beings is the spin of the earth once every 24 hours. And that part of that 24 hours you're bathed in sunlight and the other 24 hours you're not. Yeah. And so we've disrupted that with the opportunity to be awake at whatever hours. So this thing about get some morning sunlight in your eyes, view the afternoon sun if you can, You know, sometimes you miss it, no big deal, and avoid bright light in the middle of the night has a huge positive effect on so many health parameters, including it won't cure it, but has had, been shown to have positive effects on diabetes, on um, and metabolism, on dopamine, on sleep quality, on transition to sleep, on anxiety. I mean, so many positive effects because you're giving your body a, a, some regularity of signals of when to expect to be awake. And yeah. the body will track on to whatever regu regular things you're giving it. And so I think with everybody, and this is a tough one for me too, waking up in the middle of the night, it's like, uh, what easier way to kind of just let your mind go than just scroll social media. Yeah. But I would say a book is better if you're into that or an audio book. The other thing is there's a practice as long as we're just throwing out tools, which is called non-sleep deep rest. I can send you some links to that for yeah. this. Um, there's a great uh, self-hypnosis app, which was released by a colleague of mine David Spiegel. So he's actually a medical hypnotist. So this isn't stage hypnosis. This is clinical hypnosis designed to help people uh, deal with anxiety, better sleep. It's actually shown to improve outcomes in um, pain management. You do it to yourself. You do it to yourself. And it, there's an app, it's called Reverie, R-E-V-E-R-I. 
Reverie. Katie, check that out. When it's, we yeah, it's later. on Android and Apple. It's completely free. I don't, I'm not on the company board. This is, and it, you just listen to these. They take about 15 minutes. Those are great if you have trouble sleeping to get yourself better at falling asleep because sleep is a lot about turning off your brain. It's about, you know, it's about trying to turn off all your thinking. And so there are a bunch of tools that are zero cost that people can use and they they are grounded in real science. I mean, the, the hypnosis stuff is based on studies that have been done at Stanford and elsewhere by real clinicians, real scientists. It's This is not guruism. And I do want to underline, it's completely cost-free. This is not like some online program you need to pay for. Let me throw something really crazy at you. I had read somewhere along the way that not that long ago, at least in American or European history, it was pretty commonly assumed that many to most people woke up in the middle of the night and maybe hung out for a little bit. There's like references in literature and stuff to like your second sleep. That might even be something yeah. from Shakespeare. So people would just get up and they'd light a candle and they would darn a sock or whatever and then they'd go back to bed. At the same time, we all know there are still societies in Europe that practice siestas. So is it actually for sure normal for human beings to sleep all night and stay up all day? Or have we just tried to push ourselves into that, you know, that square, a square peg into that round hole because that's kind of what industrial society wants us to do? Yeah, that's, those are great questions. And um, and they are actually, it's interesting, I was on a discussion with a colleague from the sleep, um, we have a sleep lab at Stanford. And this idea of second sleep, that is, I think there's a book out there about, right, about yeah. the history of nighttime activities and second sleep. Uh, here's the deal, if you're gonna nap, keep it less than 90 minutes. We go through every 90 minutes in sleep, you go through a cycle that early in the night, you have what's called slow wave sleep. It's good for tissue repair um, mainly. Later in the night, as you've been asleep longer, you go into what's called rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, where the eyes are going like it's a very, you're, you're paralyzed during REM sleep. If you, that happens um, to everybody? Yeah, I heard everybody. that doesn't happen if you smoke marijuana. Uh, oh, wait. Okay, so it happens. To, everyone is paralyzed in, in sleep. Here's some weird factoids about sleep, and I'll answer, make sure I answer your question. Sure. First of all, yeah, early in the night, it's more slow-wave sleep. It's more involved in tissue repair. Later in the night, more REM sleep, so towards morning. Dreams tend to be much more vivid, have much more emotional load toward morning. The longer you sleep, the more intense your dreams are going to feel. And during REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, you are paralyzed. You're completely paralyzed. Now, some people experience waking up and they have an invasion into the wake, wakeful uh, moment of still being paralyzed. Pot yeah, smokers that. have that happen more often. Oh. Yeah, and it's terrifying. I'm not a pot smoker, but it's terrifying. I've had it happen even though I'm not a pot smoker. It's, it's absolutely, never happened to me. absolutely terrifying. How long were you frozen for? It's only a couple seconds, but it is really scary to be wide awake and you can't move yep. any portion of your body. Wow. Now here's another weird thing about sleep. Every 90 minutes or so during sleep, you don't know this, but you wake up, you look around and you go back to sleep. Every 90 minutes. About, yeah. Cause I do yeah. totally have yeah. memories of, yeah, I'm awake for a second. I roll over, I just, I see my wife, I see my dog, I, I'll grab him or something right. like. Totally normal, right. totally normal. And there is a range of, of um, kind of sleep types or what they call chronotypes. Some people really are night owls. They feel best going to bed around you know one or 2 a.m. and sleeping till 10. There's actually a genetic thing there. Sometimes it changes as you get older. Has that. Oh yeah, she's a night owl. It's just, uh, we're the opposite. That's you're she, a, So you're what they call a, a, a morning person. Yeah. So you, like if you could go to bed at any time, your preference, what time would that be? Uh, these days, I think I like 11. Yeah, and what time do you wake up? 
Natural. Uh, like six. Oh, consider yourself lucky. Most people would, would, would kill to, to have that schedule. I, I'm cheating, though, which I have questions. I don't want to do it too much personal stuff, but I have sleeping pills. What? I take trazodone and gabapentin. And if I don't take that, because I stopped doing it to do the ayahuasca, because you have to get off all the prescription pills to do the ayahuasca correctly. And I did, I did sleep. You know, like I, did, I, I didn't think, like I didn't spend one night where I just stayed up all night and was the next day I was like, oh my God. But I think it's because I really kind of took, I was taking care of myself a little bit. So I did, but I didn't get the sleep that I usually would get. But I would be interested in not doing them anymore. I just, for me, there's so much busy stuff going on. And I'm like, I don't have time to do a two, three in the morning fight and then go to sleep and wake up at six in the morning. Cause that's the other thing. If I go to sleep late, I still wake up early. Right. So you're, you're probably pretty strongly wired to be a, a morning person, you know? Sure. And so, you know, one idea is one of the reasons that people are waking up at three or 4 a.m., 2 a.m. is because they are actually um, kind of genetically programmed to go to bed at 8.39. And we know that it's much easier to push, you know, staying awake than it is to just say, fall asleep. Like you can force yourself to stay awake until a point and then you fall asleep, but very hard to kind of force yourself to sleep. So one reason people might be waking up is because most people nowadays aren't going to bed at 8.30. They're going to bed late and then their natural wake up time, they're running out of melatonin. In the middle of the night, you, you release melatonin. When that runs out, you're gonna wake up. So in terms of things to take to aid the transition to sleep, uh, we maybe we just spend a moment on that. Um, but I think it's, Okay, so there are there's a whole world of sleeping pills out there. It's a huge industry. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying people should do or or stop doing anything. But if you look at um, the whole of it, here are a couple of things that definitely can help anybody. One is the behavioral stuff: the light early, not the light in the middle of the night, light in the afternoon. Okay, so that's behavioral, not ingesting anything. The other thing is there are some supplements that improve transition to sleep. And it's not melatonin. I love how you, so, I, I really want to hear more about yeah. that too. So melatonin has a number of different roles in the body. Here's why I personally, my opinion, I'm not a fan of melatonin. First okay. of all, it it aids the transition to sleep, makes that easier, but it doesn't keep you asleep. So a lot of people take it, they fall asleep, but then they wake up. Okay. The other reason is what you see on the bottle is rarely what's actually in the thing i you have to really check your sources they've looked there are studies of this and you know sometimes as much as like 400 percent more or you know half as much as is listed on the bottle i mean the supplement industry isn't regulated there are good brands and there are not good brands okay that's sort of a trivial point the other one is that melatonin has a lot of other roles in the body it's what suppresses puberty during development so it has effects on other hormones and unlike testosterone and estrogen you can just go to the GNC and buy this hormone melatonin and start popping it. And so the levels that people are taking to sleep are thousands fold greater than what they would normally release in their, from this little organ we call the pineal. It's like this little pea-sized thing in the brain that releases melatonin. So there are other things that I think are at least as good and have greater safety margins. Like what? Um, so one is theanine, T H E. A-N-I-N-E, theanine. You've heard of that, Michael? Yeah, I think I was buying that My at one point. There's that and there's another one that you're probably gonna say yeah, next so, that I heard you're supposed to take. Yeah, so L-theanine is now in a lot of energy drinks. Right. Um, and the reason is that the energy drink uh, marketers are really smart, right? They're clever. 
or we should say, or diabolical. If you drink too much <laughs> caffeine, you get the jitters and you feel like you can't take anymore. Yeah. Theanine is, is a calming agent. Oh, So wow. they're taking the edge off those energy drinks. Oh, man, so, so you keep drinking more of them. So you keep drinking more of them. So we could talk about energy drinks, um, uh, but this is water, by the way, folks. Yeah, I yeah, always yeah. thought this was beer. Um, yeah, you know. it's not either one of the bad ones. It's just straight up water, it's everybody. Delicious. Liquid death. Um, it's really good. Um, so theanine, uh, you know, sleepwalkers and people that have real like night terror yeah. shouldn't take it because it can intensify your dreams. It increases something in the brain called GABA and helps you kind of turn off your brain and go to sleep. The other thing is magnesium biglycinate or magnesium threonate, not the number three and eight, but T H R E O N A T E, threonate. Those also have a little bit of like a sedative quality, help you sleep. Also, a lot of people are magnesium deficient. One site I recommend people go to, totally free is called examine.com. This is the most amazing website. Um, two guys a few years, it was 10 years ago actually, started, you can put in any supplement and it will link you to the effects that that supplement has as shown in human studies, not rat or mouse studies. And it has kind of one arrow for a little minor effect, two for a big effect or three for, you know, bigger you effect. You need that, Kevin. That's a well, hypochondriac fucking- like, Oh yeah, it's a, it's great. And I was actually gonna ask you about the-, the um... What was the, the the supplement you're talking about? The L theanine, magnesium, magnesium, magnesium. magnesium. Yep. So I'm a I'm a night grinder. I grind the shit out of my teeth, like big time. I sh I go through mouth guards like crazy because I just shred them. Um, and somebody reached out and said, and I I know I should be fucking taking pills when somebody on Twitter tells me to, but I got some magnesium because they said, yeah, that can sometimes help with the the grinding, and it made my heart beat like crazy. Okay, so a couple of warnings, right? First of all, magnesium citrate is one form, we talked about threonate and biglycinate. Magnesium citrate is one of the most impressive laxatives on the planet. So um, <laughs> so there, you have to check the source of magnesium. The other thing is with anything we're talking about related to supplements, you, you do wanna check with a doctor. If you have a heart condition or you're, you know, magnesium, the reason magnesium can affect heart is because um, neurons, nerve cells run on magnesium and sodium and some other things. So. Some people don't like it, like uh, Mike Blayback. Yeah. I, I suggested magnesium um, three and eight. He took it, It his stomach, he just did not agree with his stomach. Okay. But theanine, I'm speaking for you now, Mike, I'm revealing your sleep, uh, your nighttime <laughs> sleep practices. Um, even though I had slept in Tony Hawk's bedroom, I don't know his sleep practices. <laughs> we'll get back to that story. Tony's gonna be like, who is this guy? Oh, man, I can't Whatever. Wait to show um, but, uh, some people, you know, agrees with certain people, not others. I mean, with anything, there's variation, right? It's like nowadays people go carnivore diet, no vegan diet. It's like, okay, you know, fast, don't fast. You have to find what works for you. And obviously check with your doctor before you do or remove anything. But those two supplements, I would say for many people, it's a low cost, straightforward way to improve the transition to sleep. However, I always say the behavioral stuff, do the free hypnosis app, do the behavioral stuff of the light. You can't, as a good friend of mine who's a doctor says, better living through chemistry still requires better living. You can't just take something and expect that everything to work. Right. There, you got It's a collection of things that are gonna make you feel motivated, sleep well, all the, all the good stuff. The melatonin thing is disappointing to me personally because I'm the classic person. I don't have trouble sleeping for the most part. I have trouble falling asleep. I have trouble turning my brain off. And this thing that I've seen other people like my wife do where you're watching TV and oof, oh, did I fall asleep? That never happened mm -hmm. to me. It was work to make myself fall asleep. Melatonin, just Trader Joe's melatonin has worked for me for years. 
to just turn that off. Well, but you're saying maybe I should not do that? I'm saying if it works for you, great. Yeah. Kids, I would be wary because yeah. you know a lot of people give it to their kids. Um, and I think that that's cause for concern. I think if it works for you and you don't have any other issues, you know, I'm a big believer in once a year, if you can afford it to get your blood work done once a year, just check out what's yeah. happening under the hood. It's so easy. They'll even come to your house now. They'll draw your blood and you can, you know, get, you know, if everything checks out and you're doing it fine, you See, know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I just think a lot of people take it and then they're waking up mm -hmm. or that, and they're in this, they're on this treadmill of like, I don't sleep. Then people now get this pre-sleep anxiety. Like I'm, they know, everyone hears now sleep is so important. And then when they can't sleep, they're stressed. I should mention one hour before you go to sleep is the most alert you're ever gonna be. Most people don't know this. There's a peak in alertness that probably has to do with some ancient um, mechanism to make sure that you secured everything, that you were safe for the night, you run around and you know, tack down everything. And a lot of people, they they feel that in like, initial increase in energy and they go, oh no, I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. It sets off this whole sleep anxiety. So what I'm trying to point to here are a number of different tools, a kind of a, a kit of tools. You can say, oh, I might try that or I might not try that or that feels, but in your case, I'd say it's working for you. Mm -hmm. Just continue with it. What do you think about the role of unnatural light in our sleep lives? I personally started using a sleep mask. You know, we all read a thousand mm -hmm. articles and God knows why there's that one thing we latch mm -hmm. onto where we go, ooh, that's the one mm -hmm. I'm gonna really pay attention to. Where I live, it's like a, a complex and they leave a bunch of lights on at night and I feel like it, one of the easiest like biohacks I can do for myself or it, and, and, and to counteract the biohack that they're doing to mm -hmm. me by leaving fluorescence on is just to cover my eyes and make it completely dark. But then I wonder about, well, I'm not getting that gradual wake up in the morning as the sun comes up because it's dark until I decide it's not dark anymore. I think dark at night is better yeah. and is um, any kind of gradual transition is gonna be, um, let, me, let me make it simple. I think what you're doing is better um, yeah. because you don't want those lights coming in the middle of the night. They will wake you up. Light it's, will it's actually really go dark through the anywhere. eyelids. Yeah, it's really tough. Oh, and, shit. and so you, if you don't have a mask on, then there's light in the room. It's going through your eyelids. I mean, if it's really bright, believe, this is, sounds almost kind of silly um, and kind of obvious. But there, you know, some people's eyelids are really thin. Some people have thicker eyelids, uh, like uh. my skull. <laughs> Do you have thick eyelids? I don't. Maybe. I mean, if it goes, if it matches my skull, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that thick skull has probably saved you. Uh, a, I a saved myself of... just the other day skating with Tony. I got knocked out. Did like. You? A, Two weeks ago, yeah, that's now. that shattered helmet on the yeah, shelf look at my behind helmet. Him. Was that 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 pivot, that front pivot? No, oh. no, that was what you know. What maybe because I did that and uh, and that was I hadn't skateboarded since I hurt my knee and uh, on vert I hadn't skated for a long time. So when I did the pivot that day, I also did a couple of backs of airs. I got eggplants and inverts back, and I was like, man, every Thursday when I do the show with Tony, we'll skate, and I felt a little bit wobbly. I think it was the fourth time I've been there, but I was like, whatever, and it was cold. So I had a sweatshirt, I had a sweater on. So my arms probably didn't stretch out as much. And I just did a hand plant that's probably like the fourth one I've done in 10 years. And I let, I over rotated, Re like hooked back, whack, and like feel a car crash feeling. Like the next day, all the whiplash and stuff, and my head was a bit swollen. And uh, I mean, for a second there, you know, Jason, I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God, Tony. And he's like, look at your helmet, man. I'm like, oh my God, did I just get knocked out? I'm like, at this time in my life, at this era, are you fucking shitting me? Am I really lying on the ramp right now with a broken helmet? I thought that was 
You're back a... in the in the paycheck era where you were, you know, going for gusto. I wasn't. I was. I thought I was just kicking back. So. Well, you're a gladiator. I saw a couple of those clips, and what what was cool is that you know the first couple of them, was, you're like trying to get the pivot, and you were kind of like ah, like I heard I've heard a few ah. It's oh, like I it wasn't, it, too, it wasn't right. sticking, and then like one day later, killing it. You know, so it's clear, you know, that whole neuroplasticity, the brain's memory of learning it's and all that. It's muscle memory, right? Because that, to me, it was like, yeah, as it's, soon it's as- It's actually it... up here. It's weird. The muscles don't have a memory, but your brain has, it's like a, it's like a menu or a map. And it can, it's that old, like, you know, learn it, getting on a bike again kind of thing. But actually, I really like those two posts next to one another, because what it shows, people should go check those out, I, I, it, because it shows that, you know, the front pivot, I was like, you, you weren't getting the front pivot. And you were frustrated. And then one day later, you're getting that and a whole It wasn't slew one day other, later, it was an hour later. An hour later, excuse me. One day later I saw the post. So for me I got it, there early because I was like, if I'm doing a frontside pivot with the great Tony Hawk, I should probably be able to make the frontside pivot. And uh, and I thought, when was the last time you did a frontside pivot on a vert ramp? It was probably fucking ten years ago. So yeah. Is that right? That was, that was the first time you've been on vert for ten years? I mean, if I the last time I was ten years. Okay, I did a 540 when I was 40. I'm 49 now. I came back to the ramp about a year ago and skated. To, I had a vacation. I took a week off and went down to San Diego, and I skateboarded Tony's ramp seven, I mean, nine, you know, I mean, nine years later and blew my knee out after the fourth session, my knee, and I got a knee reconstruction. So I got a cadaver knee replacement thing, MCL, my knee feels real strong now. So then I go back down there and yeah, the la I mean, I did do some tricks that week before I blew my knee out, but I didn't do a frontside pivot. So then when I came back six months after I blew my knee out, so six months, there's nine years, then six months, then I did a frontside pivot for half an hour before Tony got to the ramp because I didn't want to let him down. I was also very nervous. I'm like doing a frontside pivot next to him. I'm 200 pounds. Underneath him, he went over you, right? Yeah, but they also, we did one next to each oh, other right, and our right. boards were touching. And I'm like, if he gets caught and falls under me and then I fall on him, like he ain't a fresh chicken either. Like if I land on him to, to 10, to 15. I like how you're worried about what you know, I was way more him. worried about him because me getting hurt in skateboarding, who cares? Tony Hawk gets hurt in skateboarding. Because Jason Ellis fell on him, yeah. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, shit. that's 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 the Danzig getting knocked out video that overshadows everything else Danzig <laughs> I, ever did. Right? Yeah. yeah, I'm just known as the guy that ended Tony Hawk's skateboard career. Right? No, thank you. It worked out. It did work out, but I did. It's funny you say the 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 mind when we did the thing where he uh, went over me. I had to stay on one side, and this is this is back in the. Day, we did demos together where Tony Hawk's over there and I'm standing here and Tony Hawk drops in and I don't look at Tony. I just feel where he is and I time the drop in and I drop in next to him. So he goes over me and I'm in the right spot on the other side. When he goes, right, what about if I do an air over you? And I was like, fuck, dude. You know I mean, I, I've only got like five frontside pivots under my belt, but you're Tony Hawk. I'm sure you know how to go over somebody. Sure. So then he's over the other side. He's like, you ready? And I said, yeah. And I was like, I have completely forgot how this goes. And he drops in and I go, and my body just went and did the pivot. And he went over me and I was like, you didn't even tell yourself what the correct timing was. 
your brain already knows it from fucking 10 years ago. Brain's amazing. It really was. Uh, I was like, it wasn't, I wasn't driving. Yeah. For the first like three or four, I was like, I think this is the right time to go. And I just stopped thinking and went. And well, then that I, non-thought. Oh, sorry. I cut you off. No, that's what it was. Yeah. Because it was, a, I blanked out. Yeah. That non-thought is what everybody wants. The flow, the, you know, the matrix. They want the, the you know, like becoming, you know, be like water or whatever it is. What people don't realize is that that those states of flow of of the matrix of of being able to time things how you want without having to think of do without doing all the kind of language around that is really mystical comes from a lot of repetition like right. repetition repetition you hear 10,000 hours i'm talking 20 30,000 hours you know that there's a beautiful thing in the world of human performance where when you don't know how to do anything you're totally unskilled there's a ton of uncertainty you just don't know how to do it You've never done it before. Then as you get skilled, certainty goes up. Like you know how to whatever your your 360 flip or whatever, your 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 lean air, whatever it's gonna be. Then at some point you you actually start developing mastery where you can start playing with things. You actually right. can push out the grind a little bit further and play right. with it. What you you know used to seem scary is actually kind of fun because now you're playing with it. And then there's this fourth level, which is virtuosity, where you invite uncertainty back in because you essentially can control everything. So you want uncertainty. Yeah. You want Tony Hawk going over you because you just doing the pivot is just you doing the pivot. Um, it's like Laird Hamilton surfing. He wants right. the the thing he's never seen before because that's where he can go to the next level. He So uncertainty is what you're trying to eliminate at the beginning. And it's what you're trying to bring back at the end. And But to get really good at anything, you have to do something over and over and over. You have to be from a place of almost complete certainty before you can go into that flow zone or that mystical zone. Um, you know, this is what people in elite special forces understand, elite athletics or even science or anything else. It's like you, you get really good by doing something over and over and over. So you say muscle memory, your brain somehow activated some context where you stop trying to do every little thing right and suddenly every little thing goes right. It's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's, it is a little bit mystical. We still I talked about you know, it on the show. I was tripping yeah. out about it the day after when I recalled my state of mind when I dropped in, when he was in the air next to my shoulder. I was, I, you know, as I said, I really didn't want to do something incorrect where I made Tony Hawk get injured. And, and my buddy was like, don't just, just do it. And it did it. And I'm like, wow. Which is kind of why I slammed because I started to feel like even if you don't feel as normal as you usually do, just trust yourself, you know, trust your body. And I think mm -hmm. I fucked up. <laughs> I should not have trusted that hair plant. I really fucked up that hair plant. Well, you seem all right today. I, the the, the pupils are the same size. I'm not a neurologist, but you you, you seem sharp. Yeah. The Tony Hawk test, he said, what did you slam on? And I said, an invert. My skateboard. <laughs> That's the test. <laughs> I, I, that to me was, he was checking to see how hard I'd hit my head yeah. because in skateboarding, we're not scientists or doctors. But we have been around several people that sure. have been knocked out. Some go to hospital. Some have got real trouble. Some go to the party that night. And and from talking to people, you kind of, if he's out for a long time, that's fucking bad. If he starts doing convulsions, that's pretty bad. When he wakes up, it's like, nah, dude, you should probably still go check it out. Definitely don't go to sleep until later on tonight. Like, somebody's going to watch this guy, make sure he doesn't doze off. Like, everybody, you get people say things. You're like, oh, okay, watch the guy. Okay. And then I get knocked out. And then someone's watching me. And then it's like, I don't even remember what happened that day. That's a fucking bad one. Right. If you know what happened five minutes after it happened, I know it's it's not a doctor and it's not a scientist, but in our 
long career of people hitting their head and going to sleep when they wake up if they know exactly what they fell on, it's usually a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So that was- amnesia is a bad sign and lack of amnesia is a good sign. No, I think it's important that everybody um, be able to, you know, get some sense of how severe something is. I mean, in sports and military that you know, talk about trying to separate um, pain and injury, right? You can be in a lot of pain, but are you really injured? Those two things aren't always the same, right? Radiation, right. you can be injured pretty bad. You you know, you get enough radiation, you can be growing all sorts of cancers in your body. There's no pain, right? Or there's a famous case. Pain is a really weird one. You, I've told this case. I know what you're going to say. This yeah. one fucking trips me out. Say it, please. So there's a famous case of a, of a British uh, construction worker uh, taking a fall at work and a nail about this long, about, you know, eight inches long going through his boot. And he was in excruciating pain, just screaming and just, so they take him to the hospital and even the slightest movement of his leg, not just the foot, put him into excruciating pain. They cut away the boot and the thing is between his toes. It hadn't actually punctured him at all. It was the visual of seeing it going up through the foot. But he was in real pain. But he was in real pain. So pain is a perception. It's an experience. It's not um, an absolute thing. And so that's really bizarre and just points to the power of the mind in creating our experiences. Wait, does that mean that, because to me, the most pain I've been in is a compound fracture. Is that because I'm seeing the bone? Probably in part. Even even as you say it, like I'm like, oof. Like just the idea of bone coming out of skin is pretty- it made me. It made it so much worse. What bone was that? My elbow came out of the back of my arm. Doing skateboarding? Yeah. Yeah, when Amazing. I was 16, of all the dangerous things you do, it turns out skateboarding is the one that, that seems to hammer you the worst. Well, I think that the thing that makes it easy for me to go about my business now is there was a time there where when I was competing against Tony Hawk, I was not a very gifted athlete, but I was a fucking maniac. I went for it. So I spent many times with crazy amounts of broken bones and concussions. Like there was contests where, I mean, Tony, was, he said it, he's like, You're, you never had a, my third ride was I'm going to do the gnarliest shit anyone's ever seen in their fucking life. And I've never made two of these tricks. And I did it every contest. I was like, I'm making it. If I got in set up for the big one, I would go for the kickflip 540. And if it was behind me, I would throw it down in front of me and I would land on it and just wham. You know what I mean? And just eat shit and break stuff. Well, what's amazing about it. So adrenaline is released from our adrenals, which are right above our kidneys. Right, so adrenaline is a chemical, but in our brain we release a chemical which is identical to adrenaline. It's called epinephrine, and it does a couple of things. It makes you first of all, it acts as a painkiller. I always say, if you've ever boxed, combat sports of any kind, it's always surprising how little it hurts when you get hit during the fight and how much it hurts later after. Uh, that's adrenaline. Yeah, right. That's a, that's adrenaline. The other thing adrenaline does is it sharpens your focus. It lets you actually process things faster in time. Yeah. yeah, a good example of this, even for non-athletes is if you've ever been late and you're at the airport or you're in line at the grocery store and the person in front of you is like returning things, you're getting stressed. They, it seems like they're moving really slow. That's because your internal world is slicing life like yeah. a, you know, like a, like a sushi chef, right? See, is it weird for me that I hate that? Like I show up early to things because I hate that feeling, but I fight and want that feeling in skateboarding and and other stuff what well fighting in sports and and other states too i mean uh, people can get this in long distance runs you can get this i get this sometimes working problem solving or writing these days it's kind of weird where it seems like time is moving both fast and slow at the same time yeah time perception is a really tricky one because that we have our internal world of time perception like how fast 
um, our our rate of experience of life, like sort of frame rate, right? But then there's how fast things are moving. And in certain combat sports, there are certain states of work or some people call it flow where you are kind of, you feel like you're sort of in control of that. Like you can actually time, like in a, in a fight occasionally, I'm sure you've experienced where you feel like you can see things coming in like as arcs, yeah. not as, you know, like straight lines. Yeah. And you're moving faster than they are but you're both probably moving at about the same speed. It's that your frame rate, you're, you're like literally instead of like 10 frames per second camera, yeah. you're at a hundred frames per second. So you're seeing more than the other guy, which is a lot of way you can out time somebody. Yeah. People are really good counter punchers. You hit me, boom, boom, you know? I mean, part of being a really good counter puncher is to not hesitate. Cause a lot of people yeah. being in the sure. pocket, you kind of flinch a little bit because punches are coming. But the person who's, like deadpan eyes wide open getting hit and counter hitting i feel like that's that person is seeing it quicker than you yeah there i mean reaction time is uh got a neural thing for sprinters like we have the olympics coming up like who gets first out the blocks is pretty much who wins because the the timing at the gun yeah. a lot of it is won or lost at the blocks and in boxing you know i know he gets you know there's a lot that could be said about him but like floyd right mayweather yeah. i mean slipping by inches isn't just a skill it's also what allows you to to you know if you don't have to hide your 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 vision if you can get still look at the other guy yeah you're in a much better position to to counter punch yeah and so you know there's all sorts of things that amount to timing and being fast some people also just have fast hands ryan garcia's got fast there's, hands. then there's that yeah, yeah there, there's that there's, but <laughs> the timing thing is very obvious people mm -hmm. that can be slower can still beat the faster person with better timing that's right. a fact right or they know how to use their feet you know, being in better positions, trapping people that are faster. You know, yeah. these are all that's yeah. science. It's, yeah, it a, takes a long it time a yeah. to do that. And yeah. the other thing is, that's what I loved about it. It's the same as skateboarding. When things go wrong, you get hurt. It's yeah. not like chess, you know, no offense to chess. It's just that was the thing that mattered the most to me is do it wrong and there's a price. Right. The thing about skateboarding to me also that is so incredible that a lot of other sports doesn't have is that. It's a lot like science, like biomedical science, in that it doesn't look anything like it does, like it did 10 years ago. It's it's innovative. Uh, I mean, boxing and fighting is evolving somewhat, and things <laughs> will evolve, training methods will evolve. But if you look at skateboarding today, and you look at it 10 and 15 years ago, yeah. it's incredible what the evolution is. But yeah. there are some fundamental principles it's built on pushing and all these yeah. and you know, whatever. In science, it's the same thing. There are foundational rules that everyone has to follow, but it's progressive. And that's what's so beautiful about it to me. And there are other things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting place where it's, it, and in 10 years, it's not gonna look anything like it does now. I've been watching this guy. I don't know him um, at all. Is it Clay Kreiner? Is yeah, I knew, you were gonna, I knew you were gonna say one of these. Like, There's three dudes right now that I follow on Instagram that are new vert guys who make no fucking money, I've, I've been told as well. Which really? Is Really sad. Somebody should send them some checks because that guy some is- vert skaters yeah. that don't get paid these days that are doing some amazing stuff. And you're right, from my era, which isn't that long ago, to this era, there's a couple of guys right now that are doing stuff that if they were doing it in uh, 2002, they would be fucking freaks. It wouldn't even be humanly possible. But there's a guy, the guy did a kickflip ollie 540 the other day. I mean, what he's what doing- What the fuck is a kickflip ollie 540? That's a video game trick. Yeah. Somebody does it. Yeah, what, what he's what doing. What the fuck is a kickflip ollie 540? Well, you know what a 540 is, right? Yes. So you know how Tony Hawk does that spinny one in the air where he does the thing that everyone loves, the McTwist? Yep. 
that's a 540. Mm -hmm. An ollie means you didn't grab it with your hands. Okay. So he did an ollie 540. Now, add a kickflip. Okay. So he ollied and kickflipped, span around 540 while the skateboard did a kickflip. Then it went back on his feet in a 540 rotation. Then he rolled back down the ramp again. Pay that man. Yeah, That's what I'm saying, Michael. Pay that yeah. man. Yeah, having never, you know, having never even come close to any of any of those, what I can say is what I see him doing is represents the front edge of of like of evolution, right? I mean, that this is nothing like that has ever been done. I mean, you just look at what he's doing, and every single week there's something entirely new that you didn't think was possible. So that that envelope is stretching open like the four minute mile, the whatever, you know, uh, the the fastest marathon, I forget what it was. Um, it's an, it's an incredible sport and there, there are other dimensions of life where people are really pushing it and it, it's amazing. And that's, what's interesting is the human brain hasn't evolved much. This is, all of that was encased in people. Everybody's walking around with a brain in their skull for the most part. And, you know, it's the idea to conceptualize something, to try it, to build up on these foundational things. And then suddenly it becomes possible. And you can bet that a lot of people are going to start doing what, what he's doing. Not, not a huge number, but within the, the world of, of vert skateboarding, because he's cracked that open. Yeah. This is a, what, you know, Tony did and what Danny did and what, you know, you've done. And, you know, people just push, push the envelope. Yeah. And there's something about seeing other members of our species doing something that makes it easier for other people to accomplish. Not easy, but easier because the con just conceptualizing it changes things. I was the best skateboarder or second best skateboarder in Australia. And I came to America and I watched people do it in person. There was tricks that I thought were humanly impossible. And then I saw somebody do it with my own eyes. And then within an hour or depending on the trick, I was doing it. Because yeah. I just watched somebody fucking do it. I'm like, wait, you can do that? Let me try that. Didn't make sense the first couple of times, but because you saw how he approached it, you start approaching the same way and you know your, uh, your skill set already and you add that to the thing that you just witnessed. To me, like I, I went pretty good and I came back six months later to Australia as, as the best Australian skateboarder ever because I just watched like 20 to 50 American guys that I'd never witnessed in my life or do all these different tricks that I'd only seen in a couple of videos or something. It's just so different when you see them do it right in front of you yeah. versus I mean, the video. It's really a case for, you know, people will say, you know, these things, I don't really like these things. Like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or whatever. Okay, well, that's not great if you don't have a lot of, you know, high achieving friends around or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that when you are, you know, even the, that stuff being on Instagram is going to, some kid out there is going to be pushing it. Yeah. Um, a lot of kids will probably hurt themselves trying it too. A lot of kids will probably also walk away from it because that seems so far from anything they can possibly do. They can right. do it with their thumbs on the video game, yeah. but to actually drop in and even come close to what, what those guys are doing now is so far beyond. But I think this is also true in science. I mean, one of the reasons I, I love having my lab at Stanford is because you look around and everybody's like you know, top one to five in their field. And so you get better being around people who are really good, right. mostly because you start to sense possibility. It's not like they're um, shedding skill onto you. They don't sweat <laughs> ability, but you start thinking that, you know, something's possible, it's in reach, and you start evaluating what you could do differently to try and improve. And so for people that don't have access to that kind of community, it exists online. I always say people have demonized and have said all this terrible stuff about social media. You have to be careful how often you use it. You have to be careful when you use it, right? Not in the middle of the night, not when you're supposed to be doing other things. But it 
there are incredible um, resources there where you can learn, right? You can learn all sorts of stuff, art, you know, science, you can learn about skateboarding. You can get access to things that, well, at least when I was growing up, you had to ride a bus or like take get in a yeah. van or you had to know the people doing it. Yeah. And so that's pretty cool. And I think it's going to widen the the reach quite a bit, much more than any kind of like Olympics and stuff, because all that stuff's really canned. It's really the day-to-day -day stuff. Like the other day I saw a post, I guess we keep coming back to skateboarding, <laughs> but um, I don't know who did this. It was, I think it was on the, the Thrasher site. It was um, Ollie onto round rail. Ollie off into the other ram the rail. On a steep yeah. hill with grass on both sides. It's fucking it. video game-esque. It's ridiculous. So that's another place where I said, okay, having observed this sport for a very long time, that things just went next level. Because it's not just about what he's doing. It's about the other kid that's going to now do that. Someone's got to best that. Yeah, they will. It was like first time we see Sal Barbier kickflip to, to rail was like, nobody thought about that. And now it is what it is. Flipping in and out of ledge tricks is, there's like a thousand kids that do it now. And at one point it was, one guy did it and it looked like in the Tony Hawk video game. Check it out. This one guy can do a trick that's just like in the video game. And you and you refer to the video game because that's impossible. Right. And now and I it, don't even know that I follow dudes, so I don't know them. And they're just like, like I'm like, wait, he has every every flip that you could ever imagine a board could do onto a ledge into any grind you could ever imagine, and then whatever flip you could ever imagine to come out of it, yeah, they can do that. You know, um, uh, I grew up with Jake Rosenberg. He was an early Plan B filmer. It's yeah, actually yeah. how I know Blayback. We, we grew up together. Um, and so I remember when he came back from San Diego, he was filming, you know, Danny and Sal and all those guys, Hensley and back when, and he would show us some footage. He was actually, he would show us it and then he like wouldn't show us it. And it was just completely changing our our idea of what, what could possibly be done. There's two guys I feel like we should mention because they're, they're at the crossover of science and skateboarding that are really special. One is Dan Mancina, yeah. who's completely blind. He has retinitis pigmentosa. He's out in the Midwest. I know Dan. Um, we've talked a little bit because blind people need to regulate their sleep also, but their eyes are oh, they're yeah. blind. And a lot of times they're getting light in the middle of the night. They actually still, many, often they still have these cells in the eye. Even if they can't see, even if they, they get can't light see. in the eye. It's sort of like your ears are responsible for hearing and for balance. Yeah, Your eyes are responsible for seeing objects and also for setting your clock. Oh, so wow. it has these two functions. So um, Dan is doing amazing stuff. I think he rides for real. And the other one is Nick Mullins, who I think was on DC a long time ago, who's unfortunately blind. I'm in touch with Nick also. Nick, there's a great little doc about uh, documentary about Nick that people should look up. I think it's called um, You and That Thing That You Love or something like that. It's done yeah. really well. He's You're blind. talking about these guys that have the stick, right? And they measure the, they measure yeah. the ledge and then they, yeah. they skate it. But Nick is doing... Blunts, frontside blunts, kickflip blunts, blunts into kickflip on transition. He's skateboarding. I'm I'm in direct touch with these guys pretty often because um because my lab works on visual repair and because blind people, there are so many people who are visually impaired, maybe not even completely blind, or who are deaf, who are afraid to go out. They don't interact with the world. It's a it's a big issue. And these guys, to me, and there are many others as well, of course, but in the world of skateboarding, I mean, they are they're putting themselves in physical danger to, for that one feeling of, you know, right away. And it's inspirational It's, it's shit. incredible. And in they're contact. doing it by feel. I've seen they're him They're doing it completely by feel. He's in the Tampa Pro, right? I believe so. Hey, I've seen yeah. video footage of him, like, in a, the biggest contest of, of the year. And he, like, measures the, the, the hip and freaking, like, hard flip over the hip and lands backwards and rolls away. I'm like, what? Could you imagine... 
you're trying to know where the transition is without seeing it. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah, you're in the dark. And Nick has tried to describe the process that he uses to do it. And that what I've told him is, look, it's great if you can describe it, but it kind of goes beyond language. There isn't really a language or words for what he does. It's all feel. Yeah. Like, but, how does he know that he's doing the other tricks that he hasn't seen? How does he know what it was in the first place? From you telling me what well, this is what a kickflip is, and he's like, "Is it? Does it? Is this a kickflip? Let me try that with my feet." And then and now he's because he, he looks like he has the same style of the newer guys. Well, he had some skill before. It was a terrible situation. He he was a oh, a, okay. a, a good skateboarder. Took a fall, got a MRSA, one of these. Inf- yeah, uh, I've uh, had that uh, antibiotic they can make you blind? infections. Unfortunately, it got into his optic nerves and oh, he degenerated man. his retinas. He's a really impressive guy. He's raising a kid. He's skateboarding. He he took himself out of the tunnel of depression that is going from being a sighted person to a blind to I blind, bet. and is he's really back in it and doing it. Like he's he's actually doing it. If when you people look at, I mean, he's he's doing things that many sighted skateboarders who have been skateboarding 10 15 years can't do playback and we're looking at one of his videos we're like this is insane yeah no. but it's really a testament to human beings are incredibly adaptive when they want to be and uh, you know depression is real it's extremely hard to get out from under the the grip of depression but humans are incredibly adaptive and when they get a goal and you're working toward a goal that dopamine associated with that and the achieving those goals every once in a while that intermittent reinforcement that you know people talk about the human spirit i don't know what that is biologically but the ability to kind of wake up your your feeling of possibility is is everything there's one thing that i i, I failed to mention i want to just make sure i mention and uh so forgive me for interrupting myself um blue blockers and and that whole biz of of you know should you look at light when should you look at light basically during the day screens artificial light and sunlight ideally sunlight are great and at night would be the time to wear blue blockers if you're if you want to. But a lot of people think the blue blockers at night are going to protect them. You really bright light will of any kind, not just blue light, will mess up your clocks at night. And during the day, blue blockers are the exact opposite of what you want. The but reason people have headaches is because they're looking at stuff at this distance all the time. But you're saying at night, if I dim the TV and dim my phone, I can get away with looking at it before I go to bed. Sure, especially if you saw the afternoon afternoon sun. Right. Yeah. Let me, so that's fucking handy man because yeah, i've i, I yeah, really i'd love to do certain better. things but there's certain things i won't do like i'm never gonna ever just not have a donut you know even Exa- if you tell me it's bad exactly i mean you the, I like the, tv I, perfection is not the goal you you know you can i love watching movies you know i i think waking up in the morning i don't wake up at dawn i wake up after the sun comes up but then get some light in your eyes you know go outside if you're gonna check your messages if you really have to have your phone with you these kinds of things i mean i'm not here to make people's lives more boring what i'm trying to do is create a foundation uh, of information that people can look to and say oh you know when i do these things most days five days a week six days a week i sleep better i feel better and there's just so much data there's so much information coming back these things work and i think a lot of people are chasing these phantoms they're like, oh, I don't understand why I can't sleep well and I don't feel right and I have anxiety. And we could talk about anxiety, but there are straightforward, yeah, I want to talk about straightforward things. Yeah, there's straightforward things that one can do. First, can I just ask about the role? You sort of touched on it much earlier of dopamine and we'll say social media, but I think like I, I, I have my go-to things on my phone that aren't necessarily social media. I read one time that you should at all times either be doing something to improve yourself or you should be doing something that you enjoy. Everything else is a waste of time. There are things I enjoy on my phone. There's things I need to do on my phone, but 
probably like most people, the vast majority of the stuff that I do, I would call compulsive behavior. Right. And so, I would have to call, what is the role of dopamine in that, if any? Yeah, so when you take, we've all seen this, someone takes out their phone, and then all of a sudden you just take out your phone. What bothers me about the phone, and I'll talk about the underlying biology, at least as we understand it. Yeah. But what bothers me about the phone is not, oh, you know, I wanna look at social media and I'm getting flooded with dopamine and this feels so good, is that most of the time it doesn't feel that good. That's right, right. there's no payoff at all, okay. it's a bummer. It doesn't feel that good. And most of the time we're, we're reflexively looking, we're doing it and we're looking for something we don't even know what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I looking for? Am I looking for a clip of Ellis or like Clay Kreiner? Yeah, th that makes sense, cool. Like I'll do that, Nick Mullins, like- the, Kitten you know, photos. You know? When you're, when you're actively seeking something, you know, then that's one thing. But when it's just, this is the time that I have a lull in my day or in my brain, so I'm just gonna go do the thing that I do when that happens. Right, and we're all doing it reflexively. So here's yeah. the thing about dopamine, and here's why it can drive addiction. We can talk about this in the context of social media. So the first time that you, I don't wanna say indulge, but the first time that you, you know, log on to Instagram, you're like, I remember the first time, I'm a very visual person. I was like, wow, there is a ton of, amazing stuff here I, was, right. I saw i got back in touch with carl watson i saw jacobs putting stuff up you know old friends coming back right. I, you know the cool science all sorts of stuff so you that's when you get that dopamine surge now every time you go um you get a surge of dopamine there's a subtle but very real mirror image of pain associated with it this is the craving part so actually the best example would be let's say you really like chocolate or for me, it would be I like do. a donut. You eat a piece of chocolate. What, pay attention to what happens next time. Part of it is your pleasure, like, oh, that tastes good. But most of it is, I want another piece. Most of it is not just enjoying the chocolate, not just enjoying the donut. It's the this kind of one part enjoying it and one part wanting more, wanting another bite and another bite. And what happens is when you continue to engage in any kind of behavior, donut, chocolate, doesn't matter, too often, social media, what happens is the pain part persists, the yearnings part continues, but the joy and the pleasure that you get from it each time gets a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. But the pain, that what we call yearning, like I yearn for it, you almost feel it in your body and in your mind, that part is getting greater and greater and greater. So now and you're doing something that you don't even get pleasure out of because you got that a habit formed where you're just, I need to go look at it. Yeah. And, you know, you or you're on a phone call and suddenly you're on Twitter also. Or suddenly you're on Instagram also. You're like, what am I doing? And you don't even know, do I have ADD? Do I have ADD? No. What's happened here is that you've become completely reflexive about accessing it and it's not giving you pleasure, but it's increasing the amount of kind of, it's kind of pulling you under. There's a, there's a pretty healthy, nor, normal way to fix this. One, I think is too extreme and people won't do. But my colleagues at Stanford Medicine, um, a woman who works on addiction, I'm gonna have her on my podcast at some point. I'd, I'd love to put you guys in touch. Ann Lemke um, is really great. And she said, she's an, a medical doctor, and she said 30 days of, of completely no access to a drug or to social media or something will reset these circuits. But 30 days is a long time. A more reasonable thing is what my buddy Lex Fridman does. He's an MIT researcher, also a podcaster. He's been on Rogan about four times, really good dude, really, really, really smart, is he realized pretty early on that social media can create a, a, a lot of joy. You can actually have a lot of fun on there and yeah. learn a lot, but you have to restrict it to maybe an hour or two in the early part of the day and maybe an hour in the late part of the day. Now that's three hours of time. You say, well, that's a lot of time, but it's different when you restrict it 
than when you're just kind of like little drivel. It's like little bites of the donut all day long yeah. versus just sitting down. You're like, this is delicious. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And yes, you'll probably crave a second and a third as you hit the end, yeah. but there's something about just kind of boxing that up and knowing that's it. And so that's the other way to deal with this that also makes you less prone to the kind of like getting into comment battles or less prone to wondering like, how did the whole day go by? And all I really did was was lean back on the couch and check social media, which I mean, which I would say a huge portion of the population is now doing. I would find if I'm doing shows, then I don't go near my phone. If I'm busy, there's certain days where I do a lot of stuff. So the phone is not there. And when I get a day off or and the kids aren't around, then I can fart around on that fucking thing all day. Just could zoom into it. And I, and I have felt that feeling of, uh, as an addict who's been on stuff where I know it's very obvious that it's no longer working, but I'm still doing it. I get that feeling in a in, in a less in a less intense manner, but I still have been on the couch on a Sunday, and I'm like, I I am thinking about drinking, and I'm like, wow, that's that's weird. Like you're 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 going back to your you would do you would drink like a oh, man. I really would like a glass of wine right now, and I'm like, wow, why don't you fucking run that through your head a few more times? Why are you doing that? And I can I'm like you're you're crying out to do something. But you're too like I could go work out, but I'm in this phone dull thing where I don't really feel that motivated to go. And I have a gym upstairs; it's in my fucking living room. I'm like, yeah, I could go over there and kick the bag, and then, uh, right? Uh, or you're checking back- between, or you're checking between rounds, or you're checking between sets. I mean, I knew I was in trouble with social media when I I love working out. Like I, I love it. I hear about these people who are like, I hate working out. I, I don't get that. Yeah. I, I love long runs and I love lifting heavy objects. And I have ever since I stopped skateboarding and that's what I got into. Right. It's just everyone, you know, I, back then I got some weird looks and stares and you know, what, what is this lifting weight stuff? And what is this running stuff from skateboarders? Cause back then it was like, not cool. Yeah. So I hit it all, but the fact of the matter is I'm, I'm skateboarding. Yeah, back then. So it was understanding. Like, they got the high yeah, jogging exactly. and lifting. Like exactly. that's how understanding skateboarding. I know. It was now. it was a point of the shame. What are you running for, bro? It was a point of shame. And yet later, you know, I think <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's it's a unique community for that reason. But, <laughs> unique. But unique nice. community. But um but I knew I was in trouble when I wasn't enjoying my workouts anymore. And I was like, why aren't I enjoying this? I love training. I love the feeling of training. I always had the problem of overtraining. Yeah. You know, I had to really limit it. And I started realizing that I was bringing the phone in and it was it was distorting what I was doing. Now, I wasn't taking selfies and doing that whole thing, but I was distorting. I could pick any music I wanted. I used to just pick an album and just go start to finish. That's yeah. the workout. Then it was like, nah, there's a better song. There's a better song. So you're not only are you not in what's called deep work, you're not what Cal Newport says, guy wrote the book Deep Work. So I want to just credit Cal. He's a Georgetown professor. He said, you know, social media is like killing our ability to think and focus, but it's also killing our ability to experience joy. But I, and as I say that, I want to be really clear. I use social media. I teach in our science on social media. It's, it's not about whether or not you use it or not. It's whether or not you're just doing it a little bit throughout the day or whether or not you're saying, okay, I'm going to spend an hour or two on this and then I'm going to put it away. Is this bad if you're a vlogger of sorts? Like if you, like if I go to the gym and I'm going to spar somebody, I'll put the camera up because if I catch somebody or I get caught, it's a thing to post. That's fine. I mean, a lot of your work 
and a lot of your world is about sharing your experience and your with with the world. That's fine. It's part of your work. I think as long as you know what it is, and if you get look, if you get joy from it, and it's not that's the other thing. Like if I film something that we're doing, and that like we punching boards the other day, and then we oh, watch yeah, punching the boards. Yeah. I'm getting a shit ton of joy doing it and watching it's it. It's great. It's great. Right. And social media, especially in this whole craziness of 2020, has also allowed people to stay connected in a way that people would be, suicide rates would be much higher, I think, were it not for social media and Zoom. Yeah. So I don't want to demonize it. I think it's great. You have to just under, I think, again, it goes back to this thing about mechanism. Once you understand a little bit about what's happening to you, mm -hmm. like but the why dopamine am I... thing, when you bring up the dopamine yeah. and how much it affects you by looking at the phone or playing video games, or and then you bring in the word cocaine and and uh, you know crystal meth and stuff, I'm like, that is dangerous shit yeah. we're talking about over here. And you're saying that this thing is hanging out with cigarettes and 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 sending off a bunch of dopamine. That to me, I, I want to save it for the good stuff. You know, yeah. like I don't want to waste it or be stuck in a thing that I'm tired later on in the day because I got pulled into something that I don't get as much gratitude about. As somebody who's like life doctors telling me my heart might need a replacement and shit, I'm like, man, am I going to die? Like every day means something to me. I don't want to be, I was already a person that wanted to make the most of my day, but now even more so, am I having a good time, uh, you know, after this show? What am I going to do in the afternoon? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be fun? I'm looking for stuff because that's my thing. I'm going to be looking for a creating or trying to do something. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to have a shit time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that. I want to have a, if it's not going to be good and creative, understand that I don't need to have a bunch of dopamine go off all the time. Maybe just enjoy a few hours of not doing stuff. How do I figure that? Like, how do I get to call that? Well, I mean, it sounds to me like you've got a pretty good grasp on it. I mean, understanding better, but I've definitely have got a lot of problems with it. I mean, every motivated behavior, food, sex. I mean, look, every organism has a one primary job, which is to make more of itself. So there's a reason why dopamine is associated with sex. It, it wasn't just, it's like sex, reproduction, evolution of a species, right? So, you know, and of course, when I say this, you know, like it's all, you know, it's always with the appropriate caveats, right? It's got to be like consensual, context appropriate, all, all the important things. But the fact of the matter is dopamine is associated with that and with food and with social media and with cocaine and with morphine and with alcohol and with um, getting laughs when you're on stage at comedy. It's not, dopamine isn't bad. It's people need to understand how they are driving dopamine release in their brain and how things outside them are driving dopamine release in their brain. Once you understand that dynamic, like first time feels good, each time after that feels a little less good. If I keep doing it over and over and over, the simple uh, formula falls out of that, which is do it, but don't, here I'm talking about social media, but don't do it too often. And when you do it, savor it, like really enjoy it. But this is the mind That's, of a, an addict you're talking to. Sure. So when you, so I've got to have that common sense thing switched on at all time. Like when I'm in it and I'm looking at the phone, I need to make a mental note. How many hours have you been looking at it? What time in the day is it, Jason? And if it's not that time and it's been that hour, you need to get off it. Well, it's like food. I think food is a fair analogy here because food, everyone needs to eat. You know, there are yeah. a couple of people out there that think you can just eat sunlight and water, but that's not true. You know, you, you need sunlight and water, but you need to eat. And sooner or later, I don't care how long you fast, you need to eat. And so you need to regulate your relationship to the phone, just like you need to regulate your relationship to food. Now, it doesn't sound like food is an issue. It doesn't sound like you're the guy that raids the fridge in the middle of the night and eats, you know. I'm a candy fiend. <laughs>
Sugar. Yeah, which has been a thing that has affected my sleep. But I have, in my older age, have realized it. it was, I wouldn't have caught that because of all the other things that I was doing to disturb my sleep that I wouldn't be Candy. too concerned about. Can- yeah. I'm going to give you a solution. Oh, I feel I'm fucking works. I- okay, I've never, this This is a, an interesting one. A lot of, of seeking of sugar is actually seeking of amino acids, which is in proteins and things. But you but you seek the sweet thing, like the gummy worm, the yeah, whatever. Yeah, chocolate bars. Stuff like that. Especially before I go to sleep. Try this, all right? This is not medical advice. It's not even really scientific advice, but just try this. Buy some L-glutamine, you know, the amino acids. Yeah, Cheap. I've got it. Get a drum of L-glutamine. Yeah. Take Get some good- Katie, are you listening? Do you, yeah. Do you drink? Uh, do you drink? Um, do you eat dairy? Or are you vegan or something? No, I eat dairy. I'm actually. I've been telling these guys that lately, from uh, eating ice cream and chocolate before I go to sleep, that I'm waking up get with the shits. And yeah. Kate, my wife's right. been trying to tell me you're lactose intolerant. I'm like, no, I'm not. No. And now it's to the point where, yeah, I am. Okay. I'm- well, get some get some full fat cream, like half and half. Good full fat cream. Yeah. Okay. Get some glutamine. When you crave something sweet, take a teaspoon of glutamine or tablespoon of glutamine put in the full fat cream and maybe some cinnamon and just drink it down tell me if it doesn't eliminate the craving for sweet yeah what just one of them yeah yeah just yeah just drink it and then, and just then see that how night you i won't you just think... see it well see how, how much cream like a, like a whole bottle no like just you know a couple of know these are good questions kevin because <laughs> i'd be like yeah man i don't even feel like i just drank the whole bottle just, of cream. just, just see how you feel and then <laughs> full. and i want to be clear this is an experiment this is just an experiment just see see what happens worst thing is you say no you know huberman didn't do anything best case is it kind of is you're like oh yeah you know th- there are reasons to to uh, to expect that this would help blunt the sugar craving okay but I, is full fat cream all that much better than eating a little oh chocolate yeah bar? definitely definitely I mean, sugar is terrible. Oh, I'm t- we're talking is, I mean, real bad. I mean, I occasionally have a donut this now, but what I'm talking, I mean, there are, I go to the data, it's scientists, right? There were three papers published last year in excellent journals showing that even if you remove the taste of sugar, you numb the mouth, you can't taste anything. If you put a sugary food into the gut, you have neurons, not just in your brain, but in your gut. They send a signal to the reward center of your brain and you start releasing dopamine so that you crave more sugar independent of the taste. So hidden sugars and sugar seeking, there's a reason why we have an obesity crisis is because if you look at the ingredients on most foods, there's all there's glucose, sucrose, fructose. Now, fruit sugar is fine. I eat starches. It's not like I'm, I'm uh, you know, a paleo or keto or whatever. But when you, sugar gets in your gut, you, yeah. it cra- you crave more sugar. And the process, the people that have developed processed foods understand this. It makes you want more. There's yeah. so, you know, it's a market. And I'm not one of these, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this is why people say, you know, the more you can prepare your own food and that kind of thing, the better. Yeah. But just try this for like a week and, and, and let no me know. You have no idea how serious I am about this. Yeah, I this can tell a, you. A huge, embarrassing problem. Like I feel at my age, it's, it, there's, I've got it slowed it down but i i'm capable of of uh eating like telly once brought up he's like you ate a pint of ice cream before you went to bed i'm like all the time how's your blood sugar have you ever had that checked out because you might be getting a little blood sugar dip uh i mean i had that checked recently because of my heart stuff i seem to be pretty level Mm -hmm. but it's inconsistent and i have definitely pulled back on it but last night i had two lollipops and three biscuits right before i went like by 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 biscuits you mean cookies yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, actually, these are biscuits. Okay. Do you eat meat? 
Yeah, but so, I try not to eat too much of it. But when yeah. I do, it's it's grass fed red meat. Yeah, great. So I mean, that's good because a lot of people that don't eat meat they crave sweets. I thought it was because I quit drinking. Well, it could be that too. But I mean, I'm not a, a therapist, and I've already said before I'm not a physician. But I mean, it, you're not a guy of of um, extreme moderation. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, happened. I mean, when you if you go into a, like I've done some research for this book I'm writing, and it went and spent some time at a. Um, trauma release and addiction treatment center. I've got friends in that community now. And, you know, you see a lot of tattoos and a lot of chain smoking. You see a lot, you know, and it's one of these things where the chemicals, you know, uh, dopamine we've mainly been talking about, but um, they, they don't care where you get your dopamine from, right? It doesn't It doesn't care if it's social media or if it's candy, but the craving of sweet, remember the craving is in part the desire for it and also trying to remove some some pain. And I'm not saying it's emotional pain, but there's something underlying that, and it's ridiculous. So I believe that because I, as all my addictions, I've, <laughs> I've, you know, I mean, I've looked into have other people's stories of how much coke they did and stuff. I've always been up there, but with the sugar thing, I don't know. I mean, Dingo has told me once that he put a bunch of candy in his ice cream and ate a whole thing, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I would do that. Like if I was sitting next to you and you were like, look at this, I put like all the candy in this giant right. thing of ice cream, and it was midnight. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, right before are I go you, to bed. What time are you eating dinner? Uh, kind of late, like nine. Okay, well, that's fine. I was worried you're eating dinner at 4 p.m. and then you're you're just really hungry. No, no, I, I, I try to, I mean, I usually intermittent fast. I kind of don't eat a lot of breakfast a lot of times unless I've got a lot of, sh if I have to do shows and I know I'm not going to eat until the afternoon, then I'll eat in the morning, but not a lot. I don't like to eat that heavy. But you eat starches. You'll eat some rice and bread and stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. That's a norm. What I, that's what I call a normal person. I uh, do good at diet. all day. Mm -hmm. It's right before I go to bed. Well, and don't, haven't you said before that you feel like perhaps it is triggered by the sleeping pill kicking in? Yeah. I also felt like when the, when I actually feel the pills kick in and I'm going to go to sleep, that's when I am more, I mean, I'm lazy, so I don't want to go too far, but if there's anything near me and it's sugary, I'll eat it all. That's interesting. So it could be a blood sugar drop. That's why I asked, how's your blood sugar? It could be that something about the medication's blood sugar drop could be conditioned like you just mentally like you associate that with that um i've always been a crazy sugar feasting machine when i'm like drinking try, try the glutamine and in, in, i'm definitely doing just that. try it or even just glutamine in water like just it tastes kind of chalky but just you know it's not that bad um i think that uh, try it and let me know it's yeah a fun experiment safe experiment uh, no one else try this just it's just going to be jason's going to try this and we've we're gonna... talked about remember uh mike dolce was like frozen grapes yes and i was like okay yeah frozen grapes and i'm eating the frozen, frozen grapes, grapes and i'm like because they kind of taste like ice cream when you bite them they kind of crunch and it gives you this ice it cream horrible they're better like, no, 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 like no. we're teething babies no or no no they're better than you would think look if you had if you had a, a fight for a belt in the ufc three weeks from now and you couldn't have ice cream you'd be like yeah okay this is fine this will get me through the next couple weeks what was it that was in uh raging bull where he's like hey you should eat have a couple steaks you can spit them out afterwards right i that? never i know i remember yeah. that rocky marciano like that was supposed to be based on a true story that he would chew the meat and get the juices out of it and spit the actual steak out. And I'm like, man, we've come a long way because that is stupid. The one I heard growing <laughs> up, this is pretty disgusting conversation, but um, was uh, people used to, uh, fighters used to take peanut butter, suck on the peanut butter, and then you'd have to spit it out because you get the insulin bump, you know, and then they'd lose more weight because the insulin would drive like a expectation of calories. Problem is I tried this once. I was never trying to cut weight because I was never that serious with the fighting or had trouble cutting weight. 
I would put the peanut butter. Do you know how hard it is to spit out a really delicious spoonful of peanut butter? It's it, almost impossible. I've cut weight and they gave me gum and they told me just keep spitting out the gum mm. and it'll help you cut weight. And I remember being so hungry that I so wanted to just swallow a couple of times <laughs> yeah. of the juices of the gum because yeah. it was that crazy how hungry you get. I think you're just better off fasting. I mean, I think yeah. if you fast and hydrate, and a lot of craving is lack, you know, lack of salt, like where sometimes people get jittery and yeah. they think their blood sugar is low. Sometimes it is, but sometimes they're just low on sodium. Huh. And so if you're drinking a lot of coffee and you're not ingesting enough salt, you're excreting a lot of sodium and you get kind of shaky, kind of lightheaded. My sister was always having these issues with like blood sugar and she's like, I don't know what's going on. Am I diabetic? It's like carry around a couple salt packets when you get jittery, you know, just down those. How are now you with she's electrolytes like a, and all that stuff? Is that something you think is a thing that works or- Neurons run on sodium, magnesium, and potassium. Okay. This is why you had the heart thing yeah. with the magnesium. So you don't want to go too high or too low in any of those things. If you drink enough water and you don't have hypertension, then you know you can salt your food. Now, if you have a heart condition or whatever, you got to obviously consult your doctor. But um, people have demonized salt. And that's because most people are getting way too much salt. The, the main problem is people are getting way too much processed food. And I'm not a nutritionist, but I do know how to read scientific papers. And there's two papers. One published in Cell, which is like one of the three best journals in, in our field, Nature Science and Cell, saying that the same amount of calories from processed food causes all sorts of shifts in bad, toward bad metabolic markers, inflammation, all these terrible things happen. Yeah. The same calories. So this whole notion of calorie for calorie, yeah. no, the source matters. It absolutely yeah. matters. The quality of the food matters. Like I don't think anyone believes that anymore. I think the calorie is not a calorie thing. People try to use that as a way to try and figure out what's the diet that they can do where they can eat as much as they want or whatever yeah. they want. So they're going to like all meat or they're going to go all whatever. Um, and it becomes almost like their identity too. And that's a whole other business. But I know both sides of that. I know the fighting game that have tested their bodies and they know that they don't eat a certain thing or they do eat a certain thing. Their body operates better. And then I know really hot chicks that... Uh, just do all the things that the calorie adding, they eat shit, processed crap that has less, like little amounts of calories and low fat and all the other. And I'm like, I wonder, because I know that, you know, a lot of these girls probably don't sprint and do, you know, I mean, uh, five rounds of boxing, but they're still lean. They're lean and they look in shape. Yeah. I think that everybody should ask themselves and be really honest with themselves. What am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do for my mental and physical health? I think that's the most important question that any adult and probably child could ask themselves. So as we're talking about these things of view light, don't view light, or you know, mind your relationship to things because of dopamine or try, you know, in your case, Jason with glutamine and thing, he said, okay, I'll try it. Everyone needs to just be honest. Am I willing to do it or not? Now, if you're not, no problem. There's no moral judgment of that, right? right? That's, but then you can't really expect your sleep to be very good and for you to feel not anxious if your relationship to devices and dopamine and light and circadian rhythm is messed up. You can't walk around saying, somebody give me the pill, give me the solution. Right. If you're willing to try certain things in a safe way, it's remarkable how positively it can shift your the depth of sleep. You know, someone might have heard me say hypnosis and thought, well, that just sounds weird. Sounds like mind control, which it's not. It's you actually doing it to yourself, learning how to relax, how to turn on relaxation. Some people might immediately say, yeah, I don't want to do that. Someone else might say, oh, I might check that out or absolutely. So once you know what you're willing to do and not do, then what you find is there's a lot of information out there. Most of it is hard to sort through. So what we're trying to do, I think, 
today, certainly, and in general, what I'm trying to do is just put the information out there so yeah. people can do it. But it's not like you have to do all these things. You don't have to do any right. of them. It's a free country for the most part. And it's um, how much you want it. How much do you want your day to change? How much do you care about being happier or a better person to your friends and family or work colleagues? Like all those things, they weren't that important to me when I was younger. I just want to be really good at skateboarding. I, if you ask me anything else, I don't fucking know. Party. You know, like that's probably the, one, the next thing that's coming out of my mouth. Not a lot going on now. I care a lot more about people around me, myself, my health, being really good at my job because now I know that that's so important to me. And I'm like, how can I be better at my job? Probably not being shit tired right before it starts would help. How do I? You know, I mean, I don't want to be fat. I, I get bummed out when I see me fat. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Well, the leaner you are, the longer you're going to live. And then everyone says, well, wait, but I know a person, he ran marathons and he dropped dead. Okay, but that that's actually not good statistics or good science because that, that that's always a possibility. If you, th there are amazing things that we can do with zero to, to very low cost that can really move the needle in the right direction. And when you, I think it's really impressive how you, you've gone from this, uh, if I may, you know, from there's like so much exploration of novelty, novelty. And now it seems like the exploration is like how well and how healthily you can live. I have definitely directed the arrow the opposite way these days. Cause I feel, you know, I, I know that there was a price that I paid from living like that. And from, I don't read, I've saw it firsthand. I've seen people be, you know, I mean, uh, healthier, stronger, happier. You know, I met, I've met a group of people that are very happy with their day-to-day -day stuff. They're not bullshitting. I was around it. I witnessed it for days on end. And I'm like, these guys are fucking just upbeat all the time. What is it that you're doing that I'm not doing? And it's like, well, we do cold plunge. We do meditation. And I've done ayahuasca. And I'm like, okay, uh, uh, you, know, you know what? Let me try one thing. And I tried one thing. And I was like, fuck. Okay. I'm, if I do ice plunge, shit is different. Is it painful? Yes, it fucking sucks. But it did, I'm like, I can re-energize my body. It's a fact. I didn't read it. I know I can feel it, oh, that sure. it that it works. I brought Wim out to my lab in 2016. No way. I know, I know Wim real well, yeah. I went over to Spain. We traveled together. We mountaineered together. I know Wim real well. And he was a real pioneer in all this, you know? And um, you know that I would say wow. Wim, Wim's kind of like the Bob Dylan of breath work. Yeah. Like he's saying all this stuff. You have to kind of, you know, um, he's really wonderful. Um, and what he's done is incredible. I think now because of James Nestor's book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, talking about the science of breathing and cold, we're starting to realize that there are things that we can do. Actually, th this is a good, um, perhaps a good segue into the anxiety stuff. Cause I can, the ice bath and cold showers, Yeah. what it is fundamentally, it's one part about the cold, but it's one part just about the adrenaline release. So anxiety, right? People are stressed. People don't know how to regulate their stress. We could talk about there's stress, there's anxiety, there's trauma, and there's PTSD, and they're all related right? Can't have PTSD and trauma without stress and anxiety, but you can be stressed without having PTSD. So I want to just be really clear. Too much stress is anytime you're not as calm as you'd like to be, right? That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. Stress isn't good or bad. Stress actually, when you feel stress, it sharpens your attention. It's what allows you to react quickly. If you have a bout of stress every once in a while, it's not going to kill you. The problem is, is when you can't turn off that stress response and you're up late and you're ruminating or you're, you're popping off on people or you're just, you know, you're an addict, you're feeling like relapsing, you can't take it down. There are a couple of things that you can do to adjust your stress in real time, what I call real time tools. This is what mainly what my lab is focused on these days. Hey. The work is based on work from Jack Feldman at UCLA, other people. 
there are certain patterns of breathing that are not breath work that you can do in real time that allow you to calm down very quickly. And the main one is something called the physiological sigh. Okay. When you inhale, because of the way that your diaphragm, this muscle inside you and your lungs and your heart are arranged, when you inhale, your diaphragm moves down and you actually create more space for your heart. And I'm not talking about emotionally creating more space for your heart. No. I'm talking about your heart gets a little bigger physically. Blood flows at a slower rate through that larger heart. And there's some neurons in your heart that's, that communicate to the brain. And then the brain communicates back down to the heart to speed the heart up to move that blood along. Yeah. When you exhale, your diaphragm moves up, heart gets a little smaller, blood moves more quickly, and the brain sends a signal, slow the heart down. So the way to think about this is inhaling increases your heart rate, exhaling slows down your heart rate. So on average, your heart is kind of on whatever beats per minute. And when if you do a long exhale, your heart rate's gonna slow down, you're gonna calm down. Yeah. If you're not alert enough and you wanna be alert, a big inhale. So when people say, hey, calm down, take a deep breath, they're telling you the exact wrong advice. Yeah. Now there's a particular breath that you can do quickly that maximizes on all this and will allow you to calm down really fast. It's called the physiological sigh, which is two inhales, ideally through your nose. So it's, and then a long exhale. So two inhales followed by an exhale. What that does is your, your lungs have these little sacs and those sacs, collapse it's sort of like balloons at a kid's party if you want to blow up the balloon you sometimes have to blow twice and then it pops open and then yeah. you inflate the balloon and when you exhale you dump all this gas called carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide is part of the reason you feel too alert and jittery so to make it really simple if you're feeling stressed in the car in a meeting in a conversation inhale twice through your nose without an ex exhale in between so inhale then inhale again even if it's just sneaking a little bit more air in that'll maximally open up these little sacks and then long exhale and you will bring your calmness down right away so this isn't breath work it's not meditation which are also great this is I real i just learned that like yeah. uh four days ago so breath, work? breath work yeah. somebody came over and taught me a relaxing one and an energizing mm -hmm. one and now i do that every morning to help me meditate because yeah. i can't meditate as, as as i usually sort of go in and out of it because mm -hmm. i'm my brain won't. Well, I think most people. I think most people. I can tell if I'm if I there's good days and bad days. Like mm -hmm. I try to meditate for 20 minutes, and I would say like, am I meditating? Of I'd say seven minutes of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the rest is like, man, tomorrow I've got to do that, and I'm like, hey, 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 get back to the thing, and then I drift off again and on and try on. the hypnosis thing because when you're following yeah. a script, when you're listening, it's actually easier to stay on track because it's having you do specific things. Okay. I don't want to tell you what they are, but they're pretty cool, and they're all anchored in the biology of of you know relaxation and, and brain plasticity you what know, was that thing that app was reverie r-e-v-e-r-i okay and um so the physiological sigh is great if you're stressed i always say don't try and control your mind with your mind it doesn't work it's like trying to it's trying to grab fog it doesn't work try to use your body to control your mind and then you're back on track and then you can use your mind so it's kind of like you're like if you're driving downhill and all of a sudden you lose control of the steering wheel, right? You're not going to try and stop the car by putting your hands out of the sunroof right. or out the window. You have to think about the emergency brake. And so this is like an emergency brake. Double inhale, exhale. Maybe do it again, double inhale, exhale. And you'll be amazed. You'll be like, I'm back. I'm good. Wow. And if you're running or you're in steady cadence kind of cardio, yeah. you can also do this. And this actually um, creates a sort of heart rate variability, which is healthy. And you can actually go max effort much longer or close to max effort 
in um while you see doing- that makes total sense to me because I can already tell from the breath work where because I the energizing one where I do deep breaths and then breathe out and then the the end one I breathe all of my air out and then I hold with no air and I'm really surprised how long right I can stay in this pocket with no air where I'm like wow man if I keep doing this I feel like I could hold my breath for like I, I'm holding my breath with no air in my lungs yeah so the um. So when you, so there's another thing that you can do for stress that explains that. So I'll give the uh, the second tool. So the first one I, I just mentioned. The other one is you can do your own form of stress inoculation. You know, you hear about stress inoculation in the military and this kind of thing. I don't really know what that means. Stress inoculation is deliberately putting yourself into a state of stress okay. so that when you're in life and life throws something at you, you're like, okay, I can handle this, okay. right? Um, sparring is designed to teach you this, right? I mean, when someone really starts throwing hammers and you're you know you have to work with that that's that's not how you want to spar all the time but that's setting you up for for battles right becoming comfortable being uncomfortable comfortable being uncomfortable clarity common storm grit resilience you hear all this stuff but how do you create that right so wim and others have figured out that placing yourself into really cold environments like a cold shower or an ice bath forces you to take control of your mind and in your breath and so when you get into cold water, you release adrenaline. Adrenaline, it comes out really fast in your body, speeds up your heart rate, makes your pupils go like this. Wow. The world takes on a soda straw view. It's hard to get perspective of, <laughs> of, you know. And so when you learn how to stay calm in that, you are t- effectively doing stress inoculation. Ah, okay. shit. Now there's another version of that if you don't want to do the the cold shower or the, or the ice bath, which is you sit down and people... Check with your dog. Kevin, you might prefer this. this one. Oh, I just perked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you inhale and exhale 25 times, like <sighs> it's breath work, right? Yeah. And what happens is you start releasing adrenaline. We know this. So we see this. You're creating stress. It's stressful. But because you're doing it, it's not like life happening to you. You're controlling the stress. Now, when you exhale, you're blowing off, we inhale oxygen and we blow off carbon dioxide, CO2. The impulse to breathe is triggered by having a lot of carbon dioxide in the body and brain, not by wanting oxygen. So when you're doing a lot of exhaling, like, and then you hold your breath, the reason you can hold your breath so long is because those neurons that aren't triggering the gas reflex. So whereas normally you could hold your breath for a minute, now you can hold your breath for three minutes. This is what free divers do. They, they practice when, doing that. When people call it packing, air packing, there's also a version of that. But like guys like great um, free divers like uh, Mark Healy and, um, who does incredible stuff. I mean, that's a, I should just mention, that is a very dangerous sport. Yeah. What we're talking about right now of this breathing should never be done even in a puddle, a shower, a bathtub. I don't care if, if it's an ice bath unless you know you really know what you're doing and certainly not in a pool or water. People have died. I have to say, there are like four or five people have died trying this and then going swimming because- you you don't see the blackout coming. It just is like lights out yeah. and people have drowned. So, but on land, what you're doing is you're inducing stress and then you're learning to be calm in that flood of adrenaline. Some lady broke the record the other day and when she came out, she passed out after she came out. Oh, from free diving? Yeah. She yeah. in a pool, she did some a, 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 you know level that was, but when she came out, she was shaking yeah. and then people came over and grabbed her and then minutes after that, out. That and wingsuit 
stuff is probably the most dangerous, two of the most dangerous sports. Yeah, I've got a few friends that are no longer here from the wingsuit. I mean, like, it's you know, it's a sketchy it's, game. I mean, the people do it and they admit it, you know, they, it's a risk consequence assessment, but um, free diving, you really have to know, know your business and, and know what you're doing. But these, so you can do physiological size when you get stressed to bring your level of calm um, up and your level of stress down. But some people find great benefit from doing a like a five or 10 or 20 minute a breath work practice where they do this breathing, 25 or 30 breaths. This is basically like kind of Wim Hof breathing or it used to be, the original name was Tumo, T-U-M-M-O, Tumo breathing. It's been practiced for hundreds of years in the Himalayas. Once again, I love how there's all the science and all the research and then oftentimes you'll find that these ancient people really had some shit that we should all still be doing well the the stuff of monks sitting outside in the cold heating the blankets where they can actually create steam off these blankets in sheer cold and they're just wearing like little you know like loincloth things in like freezing temperatures they're doing tumo breathing because when you do this you generate adrenaline and you generate heat so it's like you're working out without moving kind of thing yeah if you're ever stuck in a cold environment yeah you know you need to conserve energy but you also need to generate heat yeah. and so i mean they do this in different forms of military training right you have to just you have to keep moving. Yep. You ever get out of the water and you're a little hypothermic, you need to start doing jumping jacks on the beach, yep. right? That's, you know, and get some warm fluids in you, you know? Yep. So it's, this is something that people are starting to do. Here's a, a cool thing about the ice bath. You can either use the ice bath for stress inoculation to kind of um, learn how to stay calm, or you can do it to accelerate fat loss. And there's a, because um, it increases the activity of, there's a certain kind of fat which is like, you know, we got our standard pink and white fat, which is like visceral fat and subcutaneous fat, fat, blubber. Yeah. And then you have brown fat. Brown fat have a lot of mitochondria in them. That's why they're brown. And they they live, the brown fat lives right in between your scapulae and in your upper neck. Kids have a lot of brown fat and it, it increases your metabolism dramatically. This is why kids sometimes are just running around outside in the cold or whatever. They don't, they don't seem to mind it. Yeah. If you get in the ice bath, and you want to use it to stay calm or the cold shower, you want to resist the shiver. You know, there's a way that you can still your mind. You feel the impulse to shiver and you can kind of still it by relaxing. Yeah. You kind of, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like- I always let it kick in to, to notify me how long I've been in because mm -hmm. I sometimes my temperature in my thing will change. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if it's real cold and I feel the shiver come on in the first minute, I'm like, oh shit, my, my, uh, my freezer is, is colder than usual. But you're right, you can stop the shiver. Yeah, you can kind of halt the shiver. Yeah. Once it gets going, sometimes it's hard yeah, to control. Take, yeah, then I know I, have, yeah. I could probably get out. But if you want to use the ice bath to stimulate metabolism and fat loss, there was a paper published in Nature, great, perhaps the greatest journal and most competitive journal a couple of years ago, showing that when you get into cold, the cold induces shiver and the muscles, when you shiver, release a molecule called succinate, S-U-C-C-I-N-A-T-E, bless you. That succinate actually causes the brown fat to increase your metabolism. So when you get in the ice bath and you resist the shiver, you are effectively doing stress inoculation. You're raising your threshold for how much stress you can tolerate. But when you get in the ice bath and you allow yourself to just shiver, you're releasing more succinate and you're stimulating more fat loss. So you can use it for one or the other or you wow. can mix it up. Yeah. In the cold, cold shower works too. Do you have a temperature that you 
abide by or uh, so i have a chest freezer me too yeah yeah and um people unplug the chest freezer before you get in i keep waiting to hear about somebody like i often worried about that when i first got it when i first had it but not enough to unplug it no because i like the light on in the garage i used to have it in the garage yeah and when it's open and plugged in there's a light so i could see myself in the at night in the garage and so they can see you when they find you when you're in there electrocuted (laughs) (laughs) i don't sorry morbid sense of humor there but um yeah, I think unplugging it just for the few moments. That okay. You're in there. So a lot of people buy ice baths. There's some beautiful ones out there, but they're they're those. quite expensive. I they're know. in like three, four grand. Aubrey you know, Marcus outside. is sponsored by one that looks so good. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I went on the website. And I'm like, six grand. I'm like, man. I mean, you know, unlike a sauna, which is kind of hard to uh, to just make on your own, although some people have done it. I, you know, ice bath you can do by buying ice, but that too can get pretty expensive. 50, 50 bucks agree. in ice, yep. you know, you need a lot of ice. Um, the other way to do it is you can get a chest freezer, like a find a used or new uh, like uh, chest freezer, um, seal it up, put fill it with water, some Epsom salt, and then um, put it on a timer mechanism so it's only um, on freeze mode for two three hours a day. Why and Epsom salt? It keeps it clean. It keeps stuff from growing in there. Yeah, and we're right. I know my wife right now is right, we're writing stuff down. <laughs> so that that's one way to do it. And then as long as you remember to unplug the freezer before you get in, that's that's one way people do it, and they kind of submerge up to here. Yeah, and no, you do not close the top of the, the no. chest freezer. Yeah, no. I just imagine all the things that you know. Um, so th- that works pretty darn well. To three minutes, you know, does it matter? I mean, again, you know, people with heart conditions need to be careful. One one minute to start the two minutes work up to three um you know once you get to seven ten you're pushing the outer limit where if you stay in too long you you can go hyperthermic right you know even if they're you know screening for seals Carl kingsbury in, yeah. who we're both friends with is the kind of person that i don't want to go in the ice plunge with like when he's like come in the ice plunge with me and i'm like because he's gonna stay in for too long he's gonna make me stay in there too long and it's gonna be colder than it should be well it's interesting because people vary tremendously like i like the heat i love the sauna but i don't i'm not crazy about the cold i do some cold water swims without wetsuit stuff because i like the cold exposure and the the guy that that leads these swims he's a buddy of mine he was in the seal team so they they love that stuff they're like drawn to water it's so weird the people who did who were in the seal teams for a, a while when they see cold water they they they're like drawn to it, or at least they, the ones I know. Eh. Um, whereas I'm like, ah, oh, here we go again. Yeah, that's how I am. But when I get out, I feel great. Yeah, me you too. Know? So the ice bath and the cold dunks and all this stuff is, it does have some utility and it creates um, vasoconstriction. So your blood, peripheral blood vessels, you know, constrict. Yeah. But then when you get out, they dilate. Yeah. And it does create heat in the body. A lot of people think, oh, it's making you cold. One of the best ways to heat up the body right is uh is to you make yourself cold and you you unless you stay in too long you generate heat to counter the cold that's okay. the increase in metabolism that's adrenaline so i think the ice bath is a tool that people have seen and they've heard about but once you understand a little bit about how it's working like oh this is a, a stress inoculation tool or i can use it to lose fat cold shower could be a good a good substitute for that running up a steep hill getting your heart rate way up and then trying to calm down using physiological size that's another way to to learn how to quickly take your level of alertness down to calm and the reason that we're putting this out there is not for people who are just in the athletes you know athlete types is that for most people they just assume that anxiety isn't under their control like they're walking along they're making breakfast and boom all of a sudden it's like they're you know they're tense and anxiety is the release of adrenaline and adrenaline makes you want to move 
it creates this shaking and tension and fear and because it was designed to get you to mobilize your body. And so just trying to sit there and overcome it with your mind is very challenging. And so that's why breathing, training yourself to get better at tolerating stress, it can have a huge, uh, you know, positive effect in terms of how you navigate life. Because then the next time you look at a text message and you're like, this is terrible, you, you recognize the feeling. You're like, that's adrenaline. I'm hit with adrenaline right now. And you can calm yourself. And people tell me all the time that once you once once they've done this a few times, they learn to recognize it. And once you can, this is the beauty of the human mind, is that once you can see a process, unless it's something really extreme like addiction, most of the time you can catch yourself. See, I would recommend to a lot of people that are listening saying, man, that seems like a lot of uh, a, a bit of a mission, a bit of a hustle. I feel like try it, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to be good or help try it for a little bit because to me i felt like doing some of these things opened my uh my, made me think clearer and then understood how important these things were to my day-to-day -day life which made it easier to go to still commit to doing them because the cold plunge thing took me a while like i was like you guys are fucked well who gets in this shit you know like that's insane and then i think maybe being really sore was the first reason that I was committed to staying in there because I was really sore and I wanted to be not so sore. So I believed them. So I went in there for a long time. But then the feeling when I got out of being uh, vital, revitalized, I was like, holy shit, this thing really works. And then the being in an uncomfortable situation and facing it, uh, I've I, as a person that's been in a lot of bad situations that I now can use in a positive and get a lot of shit done that's difficult in life. I knew it. So the being in the cold, I knew when I'd be in there and I wanted to get out and I didn't get out was making me a better man. Yeah. Like that. Just uh I used to tell these guys, one every now and then, not bad. Every day, you feel like a psycho. Like every morning I'd get in there, I'm like, cause I saw Tony Robbins say he gets in every day. And I was like, right, that guy is fucking pumped. He gets shit done. That's it. I'm in the fucking freezer every day. And I remember like maybe day four, I was like, fuck, man. This is like, really? Why? Why? You know, this is insane. It really hurts. I want to get out. Well, I don't want to undercut your, your regularity of practice, but these things have benefit even if you do them just from time to time. And I oh, think cool. That, yeah. I don't have to Tony Robbins it. Well, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> athletes do it really often. I mean, it also depends on how hard you're pushing your body, right? I mean, okay. I mean so you, if you feel stressed, if you're pushing yourself really, really, I think you should use your intuition. You know, if you're working very long hours and you're just exhausted and you're grinding, I would veer towards sauna, hot showers and, you know, and, and, you know, remember the ice bath is stress. It's oh, self-induced okay. stress. It will raise your stress threshold, but it's just like weight training, right? You can't always add weight to the bar right. and no one wants to do a deload phase. No one wants to, you know, take a week off, but if you've ever train weight training consistently and you do a really good deload phase of a week or two, take a week off and then come back and do an, an, an I mean, you're much stronger. You, you've got more hypertrophy, you, your joints feel better. I mean, it really, you're better. Right. And so you have to learn how to cycle these things. The things like the physiological side are real-time tools to use anytime you want. Yep. The light viewing, same thing. Do I view the sunlight every morning for 10 minutes? No, there are days when it's raining, I don't go outside. I flip right. the lights on. Are there days when I stay in bed too late? Sure, I'm a human being. 
it's it's what you do on average, just like nutrition. But so don't beat yourself up if every now and then you don't do the thing right. that you know is going to help you. Right. But doing them consistently, I know I've repeated myself a few times now, so I sound like a broken record. But if you do these things consistently, I've observed it in myself and in people I know. I've seen the scientific data. Some of this is still work in progress, but it's very clear that people experience tremendous benefit and all sorts of other things start opening up. When you have more ability to, when you sleep better, everything gets better. Mental health gets better. Physical health gets better. Hormonal health gets better. Just everything's better. So you don't want to obsess over any one thing unless it's like in a clinical thing. I mean, if you're really struggling with major depression, you need to talk to somebody who's skilled. But <clears throat> these are things that are foundational that I think everybody should be doing. And you know, I think coming out of 2020, 2021, most people are asking really important questions. Like, how can I just make life better? You know, what's going to put money in my pocket? What's going to give me a sense of security? You know, I disagree with the statement money doesn't buy happiness because true, it doesn't buy happiness, but it does buffer stress. So what can you do to do that? Well, buffer the stress and then you can kind of start to attack those things. So I'm not saying this is a fix all, but given that they're so the cost margins are so low if you don't have an ice bath presumably you have a cold shower and you know so it, it all can be done and there there are mechanisms there that we can you know we could go on and on about but there's good reason to do these things and very few reasons not to uh, you know you have to be cautious about the heart conditions and not do heavy you know hyperventilation before getting water all that kind of stuff but there's very few reasons that actually stand up for like no i don't want to be less stressed. It's like that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. Um, and I think most people now are pretty open about. about I think tools. more so than ever because a lot of us are have never been faced with such stress in our lives. A lot of people, have, I mean, a lot of people that I listen to, we, I mean, we lost our jobs, and when we talked about it, a lot of people messaged us saying, "I just lost my job." You know, a lot of a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people ask me like, "How do I get in shape? How do I get motivated? How do I lose a couple pounds? How do I?" You know, I mean, how, when I'm really stressed, I'm depressed. I don't know what else to do. What do I do? You know, I get so many of those questions all the time because I'm a broken guy, and every, people relate to me, and they're like, "How are you still here? Why do you work every day?" And it's like, because I make all these efforts. You know, I mean, I I, I would say I, you got some cracks, but you're not broken. Well, you know, yeah. I made a lot of. Well, I made a lot of. I glued my shit back. Like I made a lot. I made a lot of efforts to get things back. And I would say the reason that I make a lot of effort is because I think the first time I ever made any effort, I saw a, a change, a positive change, and I was like, so really, this just uh, just keep making efforts because sometimes I think I go down roads that was not such a good idea but i'm always open to new things and what you know what is what makes you happy what makes you get through your day hey how come you're so fucking fast or strong what do you eat like i'm always that guy i've always tried to understand sometimes genetics and i'm like doesn't matter how many fucking tomatoes i'm never going to be kyle kingsbury or whatever it is that he does he's a freak but is it i mean he clearly puts work into it too though i mean he eats real clean and he's um and he works out a lot but he also has natural attribute he's definitely uh, yeah he's definitely biased to be an athlete i mean his his physical he's he's i haven't trained with kyle but i've spent enough time with him and, uh, he's he's a beast yeah seems like yeah. everything he does when it comes to that stuff everyone's like whoa i mean i was cutting weight to fight him actually and, uh, and i had to i had to cut weight to fight a guy before him oh, did what, i see this thing out in texas a yeah couple years ago? so i had to cut weight to fight that guy not a lot but still i had to go in the sauna and kyle came in there and he's like what are you cutting some weight i'm like 
yeah, yeah, just got to sweat out a couple pounds so I stand on the scale for this guy. And he's like, oh, let me turn this thing up for you. And he starts pouring water on the fucking thing. And he just stands in front of it, pouring water, pouring water. Pour, it doesn't stop. And now my coach is like, I got to leave. I'm going to faint. And I'm like, well, I'm going to stay in here because he's got me in here. But everything he does is is like I'm, I'm looking at him going, how is he even standing up over it? He's just facing it. Some people are next level. I do the uh, – I'm friends with um, Laird Hamilton. Yeah, Laird Hamilton. And he's real into the sauna ice thing, and we do the pool workout and that kind of thing. Um, I've heard about this pool workout. Oh, yeah, we should get you up there. I don't right? want to go. I've heard it's, it's – oh, no, I'm scared it's, of you. I'm scared of you guys. No, it's great. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> um, Who was it that was on here? We we're going to interview him again. Oh, uh, Makua Rothman. Makua Rothman. Yeah, he was he like, yeah, there. the the pool thing with it's good, man. Like you won't pass out. I'm like, well, you have to. I mean, you have to be smart about it. It's weights and water, and so you have to weights, water, sauna, and and ice and ice buckets. But but yeah, Gabby. You know, I was I was very lucky that Gabby uh, took me f through the first workouts, and I've had the chance to do it with Lair too, and it's it's great. Um, and what you find is that, you know, people like Laird's a really good example where, I mean, he puts the airdyne bike, the assault bike yeah. in the sauna. What the Yeah. Fuck? He rides in that thing. Now he does that. I, I, he, I'm not suggesting anyone does that, but he's, you know, he's next, next, next level waterman <laughs> surfer. Right. And so that's where, that's where he's, that's where he's playing. He does some things in the pool with the weights that I don't think if you saw it on camera, you wouldn't, it might not look like, whoa, that's really tough. But there's some ways of moving the weights across the water, carrying them and bouncing off the bottom with it that are straightforward for most people who are comfortable swimming and in a pool. Yeah. And then there are a few things that he does, like there's this L-sit thing where you set the weight on your lap and 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 push across, which are to do this with a with a five pound dumbbell is absolutely amazing. And he's doing this with 25s and 30s and things like that. So yeah, I think it's um, consistency, conditioning. I mean, he's very regular. So is Gabby about their training. And, and Are they all still the training like that? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're sometimes in Hawaii, sometimes out here, they work extremely hard. You know, people see that I see their success, you know, with Laird Superfood and all that. And I think a lot of people do, just don't understand just how hard they work, but also how diligent they are. And what's cool, as long as we're talking about that, they've they've created a really wonderful community around training. And you know, it the idea of gathering with people it used to always be, at least in the worlds where I grew up, even in science, it was like happy hour. You go to a meeting, and then like after six p.m., everyone's out drinking. And you know, I want to run in the morning. I want to train. I want to get after it. And um, that's changing a little bit. Hopefully, that'll change more in, at meetings and things. But. Um, they, Laird and Gabby have created this wonderful community and the, and the folks out in Austin too, all the groups there have created a community around training and healthy things that isn't about being a health nut. It still feels really good. You're still socializing, yeah. you're pushing yourselves, you're having a good time. There's humor, there's, you're, it's great. And I think more of that. And I think, um, the more that people can create that for themselves and for other people, it's, it's not just positive thinking. It's really good stuff. I mean, your entire week is better when you're getting together with people to train and, do some ice bath and sauna yeah you know it's it's a it's a world apart from being locked in your room and only communicating via via screen right until yeah. i just hope more and more people get wind of it and get out there and give it a go because you won't know until you try it you know yeah and and i want to be clear you you can create this stuff for yourself and for your family and friends it's really it's really easy to do it just means gathering people. I, I was out in Hawaii. I'm not a surfer, but a few years ago I went out there. And what's interesting is um, I think it's uh, a signature of some of the communities in Hawaii that are really tight communities and everyone would get together, young kids, 
men, women, everyone would, and they train, they would do kind of a sort of a CrossFit type thing, yeah. like rowing. They do it. And I remember I was on my computer and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to just train later. And the, uh, the guy, uh, my friend, uh, Kai, Kai Garcia, he said, no, no, we all train together here. And I thought like, really? Like I'm kind of a, I'm a, sometimes a little bit of a, of a loner, you know, yeah. like, ah. and he's like, no. And I got it. You don't do that. You all go in and that's part of the, the culture yeah. of training together. And I realized in that moment, this is way better than the marching off to the gym by yourself, um, which is also cool because yeah. you have to be self-motivated. But anyway, the point is that if you don't have these, uh, you know, if you're not surrounded by amazing athletes or you're not one, it's just getting people on board these things has yet another effect because there's a huge positive effect, great science to support this for, I mean, I mean we are a creature that was designed for social connection and bonding. That's fundamentally what we are about. So much of the brain is about face-to-face -face communication. It's about getting together with friends once in a while. It's about unscheduled time or unrestricted time. And speaking of training. time, I wish I could get more out of you. I know if anybody, no, no, else, yeah, sorry, we've, we've, we've gone. I, this is the longest podcast we've done, but I knew it was because I know that you got so much more information. If anybody wants to get proper, in, the. Uh, information that isn't interfered by us asking about uh eating sugar you can you have your own podcast you have your own youtube channel and you do videos every, like how often do you do those videos where you Couple explain times a week they're yeah. really informative i i recommend everybody check them out it really is easy to understand stuff too i don't go like man i don't even know what the fuck this guy's talking about i'm like wow no shit so if i just add that to my day it could be a little bit better or i act like that because of this it's very handy stuff Thanks. what's your podcast called Huberman Lab. Everything podcast. is Huberman, Huberman Lab. Lab. Right? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's Huberman Lab. On Twitter, it's Huberman Lab. Um, mainly on Instagram and on YouTube. And then the podcast is on YouTube and also on all the standard, you know, Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. So you can find us there. Thanks for being on the show, dude. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having Glad me back when, it. when we do it again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Like and subscribe. Don't die. Boing, boom, bing, oh, boing, 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 meow, 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 Big fat Big fat Boing 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 Bing boing 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 bo
Boy, 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 boy.